and we are on air this Thursday night, October the 6th, for our Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show is our co-host for today, and that is Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, thank you, Sharon. Uh, might be a little off tonight. I'm still trying to come to grips with the fact that it's October already. <laughs> I know we're six days in already. <laughs> Things are moving right along. Uh, tonight we're going to do a one-hour preview show. We're going to start with some short track news and upcoming races. We're also going to preview the Arkham Menard Series season finale at Toledo Speedway, and we'll follow that up with some updates from the Arca West and the NASCAR Truck Series who are both taking a break this weekend. During our second half hour, we're going to uh, do our preview of the NASCAR Xfinity and then the Cup Series at the Charlotte Roval this weekend. At 9.30, we will start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with our Fan for Racing crew, and we've got the full house here tonight, so that should be a lot of fun. A lot of fun and jam-packed. There's a lot of things, uh, some of it actually breaking today, if you will. Uh, So a lot going on there. Yes, there is. So uh, stay tuned for more uh, discussion from our Pamper Racing crew. All right. uh, Let's go ahead and get started with some short track racing news, though, in our first half hour here. Um, I know that... uh, The Winchester 400 is coming up, and there's a lot of former winners and top talent that has entered for that race uh, this week. I think it's this weekend. Let me take a look at the date um, for this race. On October the 16th, so it's going to be next weekend, I believe. Um, So there's three former uh, Winchester 400 winners on the entry list, and that includes uh, drivers like the 2019 winner, Stephen Nassie, the 2020 winner, Carson Hosevar, and 2021's winner, Sammy Smith. All of them are entered uh, to try to pick up their second-famed Winchester Rifle Trophy, uh, and that is traditionally awarded to the winners of the Winchester 400. So uh, there's three of the some notable drivers that will be racing uh, this weekend. But there is more. Also, the Camping World Truck Series three-time 2022 winner uh, and the current series point leader, the 2021 Snowball Derby winner, we're talking about Chandler Smith is entered to in this race, along with uh, Corey Heim, who has two Camping World Truck Series wins and two Arkham Menard Series wins this season. Um, and also Arkham Menard Series competitor Jesse Love, who won his first Arkham Menard Series race at the Illinois State Fairgrounds on August the 21st. Uh, so there's some more. Uh, let me just mention Jake Garcia here as well. Uh, he wants to improve upon his fourth-place finish in last year's 400. But there's more drivers. Jay. Yeah, there's several, and this is one that as a bucket list race, I've already gotten to do, and if I have the opportunity, I think I would do again. Uh, one of the ones you mentioned that from the race I went to, Casey, Casey Roderick, uh, very familiar name in the late model, Stephen Nassie. Uh, another one, I was trying to see if I saw, um, 
Bubba Pollard. I don't think I, I saw Bubba Pollard on there. the list. Nope. I'll be darned. Um, Casey Roderick was one that ended up being penalized, a lap down. Coming to the white and checkered flag, lap down was battling and pushing the leaders around, making his statement. So that race is so intense, they will do anything to try and fight their way to a win, including <laughs> racing the leaders when they're not on the lead lap. It was amazing. And he did it cleanly. Exactly. So this is one you want to mark on your calendars as an upcoming race. Uh, for more information regarding uh, the event or to purchase advanced tickets, you can visit the track's website, Winchester, uh, Winchester INS Speedway, I, WinchesterInSpeedway.com, I guess is what the uh, website is, or Winchester Speedway on Facebook page, or you can contact the track office as well at 765 765- So, again, this is going to be a fun one to watch and uh, one that you want to put on your calendar for October the 16th. Uh, Right now they've got information about the race over at Racing America if you want to learn more about who's going to be in this race. And you can you can also find more on uh, cra-racing.com www.cra-racing.com uh, part of the whole ARCA CRA Super Series, which includes the Winchester 400 uh, schedule of events and entry. That's true. Okay, uh, now the American Canadian Tour is going to wrap up the 2022 season with three with the three-race Southern New England Swing through through, uh, three Sundays in October. So, uh, or Saturdays, I said Sunday, I mean Saturday. Uh, So this is something that you'll want to check out as well. Um, And uh, following last week's Vermont Milk Bowl at Thunder Road, and by the way, uh, there were some really historic things going on in that uh, race those races this past weekend, but uh, for the next three Sunday Saturdays, you'll be able to watch um, uh, these races. Uh, and probably uh, for general information, you can go to oval at thompsonspeedway.com or thompsonspeedway.com uh, to get more information about uh, the, these races that are coming up too. Uh, I think it's kind of cool that it's a Southern New England swing for uh, the Thompson Speedway World Series, but this is uh, the American and Canadian Tour. So you know we're going to see some interesting names on the entry list here. It, uh, it always is, especially up in that area specifically when we see some of those guys, the Canadian racers, come down. Uh, some of them we get to know more familiar as they make their way through the, uh, through the other series. But that would be an area i, I got to make a deal with Andy to come visit him uh, is what I'll claim. But uh, to be up in that area this time of year, yeah, they definitely got some big events. Like you mentioned, uh, it's kind of sad we're closing in on the end of the season, but there's also some excitement to it as they settle their championships. That's right. And uh, it's always exciting when uh, a championship title is on the line. Over at Flow Racing, they also have a lot of information about different races 
uh, that are taking place over the weekend, and there is always a uh, bevy of races uh, for fans to choose from over the weekend. Uh, there is never a shortage of racing happening at a local track somewhere near you. Uh, but there's also a kind of an interesting article here about Daniel Dye hoping his short track prowess will lead to his first ARCA title. Uh, and that's coming up for us here in just a few minutes. We're going to preview uh, the race that is the season finale for the Arkham Menard Series taking place out at Toledo Speedway this weekend. But that will be available via Flow Racing uh, live streaming as well. But if you want to kind of get a heads up on on uh, Daniel Dye and Nick Sanchez, I would suggest you read this article over at Flow Racing as well. Well, hopefully you've been watching their battle all year as we've discussed it both on the preview show going into the race as well as the review show. Uh, give a little spoiler, it's two points right now. Uh, and a lot of things <laughs> can affect that, but it's going to be a tight, tight battle. It is definitely going to be a super tight battle. And uh, with it being the season finale, this is it. So these drivers are going to be going all out. Daniel Dye kind of has the edge uh, because he's he's really, really good on the short tracks. But I would not exclude Nick Sanchez in this equation. He's uh, uh, been a good driver all season long from Rev Racing, and uh, I can't wait to see how this race does play out. Now, uh, let me just mention here uh, some of the details. Uh, that race is the Shore Lunch 200 taking place at Toledo Speedway this Saturday. October the 8th, p.m. Eastern Time. Now, if you have MAV-TV, you'll be able to watch it over there. If you don't have MAV-TV, then subscribe to Flow Racing because they'll have the live streaming there. And if all else, if nothing else, you can listen to the radio coverage over at arcaracing.com. They always have that available for fans. This is going to be a half-mile paved oval. They'll be racing for 200 laps. But it all begins Saturday, October the 8th with practice starting at 8.45 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, qualifying at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. And the race itself uh, with the green flag will wave at around 4.11 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Again, this is the season finale, so everything's on the line with this race. And it's a strong 24-car entry list uh, for that race, the Shore Lunch 200, presented by CGS Imaging, as they headline the two drivers we mentioned fighting for that 2022 Arkham Menard Series National Championship, uh, well as well as the driver who won the 2015 Series title. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Uh, The current series points leader, Nick Sanchez, is looking to make history by becoming the first driver of Hispanic descent to win a National Stock Car Touring Series championship. He leads the series standings by just those two points over Daniel Dye, who drives for the team that won the title in 2015 with Grant Infinger at the wheel uh, with GMS Racing. Now, Enfinger is also entered in the driving for former Arkham Menard Series driver and longtime series crew chief, uh, Jeff McClure. Uh, Enfinger currently competes in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series for GMS and will be racing at the Toledo Speedway as an on and off weekend. 
as he competes for that series championship with the trucks. Okay, some other notables that are entered include third-generation racer Brandon Barney. His family has raced at Toledo Speedway since the 1960s. Former Toledo Speedway late model sportsman competitor Jeffrey McZink, Morgan Baird uh, from nearby Jackson, Michigan, and Baird is making his first appearance at Toledo Speedway and will be driving for Venturini Motorsports. All right, we'll cover the full entry list here in a few. But this busy championship weekend, I know Sharon mentioned some of this, uh, kicks off Friday afternoon with the Menards Fan Fest at the Menards just across the street from Toledo Speedway. Uh, that'll be at 18 or at 1415 East Alexis Road from six, 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Sorry. Uh, several drivers and former Arkham Menards Series champions are expected to be in attendance. Then at 6 p.m., it's the Past Champion Celebration, which will take place in the Toledo Speedway Bar and Grill. You've got former series champions Bill Venturini, Bobby Bosher, Andy Hillenberg, Frank Kimmel, and Grant Infinger are all expected to be there, along with former car owner champions uh, Kathy Venturini, Ron Keslowski, and Billy Venturini. And former champion crew chiefs Ralph Young, uh, he led Benny Parsons to titles in 1968 and 69. Larry LeMay, Gary Bosher, Mark Rett, Chad Bryant, and Mark McFarlane are also expected to be in attendance. It's open to the public at no charge, and food tickets can be purchased at the door for $10. Now, the schedule for Saturday commences, as I mentioned earlier, with the practice for the Salem Bien Excavating Late Model Sportsman and the Vault Factory Stocks. That's at 10.30 p.m., I'm sorry, a.m. Eastern Time, followed by practice for the Arkham Menard Series, which starts at 11.45 a.m. The 25-lap factory stock feature is set for 12.30 p.m., and the general tire pole qualifying for the Arkham Menard Series starts at 1.30 p.m. Eastern. The 30-lap late model sportsman feature will go green at 2 p.m., followed by an on-track autograph session featuring the Arkham Menard Series drivers and former champions. Pre-race ceremonies for the Shore Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging will start at 3.30 p.m. and the command to start engines at 4.05 p.m. Now, advanced discount ticket sales are available at participating Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan Menard stores for just $20 per adult uh, general admission ticket which is a saving of $10 over that at the gate. The race will be televised live on MAV-TV and streamed live on Flow Racing. For complete information, you can visit ARCAracing.com and follow, as I mentioned, the ARCA Racing uh, at, sorry, at ARCA Racing, underscore racing um, for up-to-the-minute updates. Okay, let's go ahead and cover the uh, entry list for this race, starting uh, from the bottom up, Jay. All right. That I think I can pull up over here. I've got that. I also posted it on uh, on the team's app. There we go. Uh, In the number six is going to be A.J. Moyer, and he comes out of Tampa, Florida, along with Alex Club will be in the number three, coming out of Morris, Illinois. Okay. Tim Moreau will be behind the wheel of the number one. He hails from Elmwood, Illinois. 
He'll be driving the FastTrackRacing.com Ford for Hillenburgs. And Andy Jakowiak uh, from Tonawanda, New York, will drive the Automotive Consultants Toyota, the number 73, uh, for his own race team. I believe he's going to be... Oh, okay, the the uh, crew chief is going to be Mike Dayton, and for uh, Tim Monroe, he's going to crew chief his own car. <laughs> All right, the 65, that'll be uh, Jeffrey Mackzink from Brownstown, Michigan. Uh, it's uh, Jared Mazink-owned and crew chief Toyota. And then we mentioned that Billy Venturini, number 55, will be Morgan Baird out of Grass Lake, Michigan, is what it says here with David Liner as your crew chief. Okay, and the familiar number 48 is Brad Smith from Shelby Township, Michigan. Uh, He'll be behind the wheel of his own Chevrolet, and Jeff Smith will be his crew chief. And as we mentioned earlier, Jeff McClure uh, is on top of the pit box for Grant Infinger in that number 44, uh, Jeff McClure Racing Chevrolet. He hails from Fairhope, Alabama. And we get to one of the two championship contenders, Daniel Dye, we talked about, comes out of Dillon, Florida, driving the number 43 Chevy for Murray Gallagher with Chad Bryant as his crew chief, the race to stop suicide as a sponsor. The 42, that is Amber Slagle, comes out of Sylvan Lake, Michigan, in an MMI Services and SunWest Construction-sponsored Bruce Cook Toyota. Sean Samuels is a crew chief for her. Okay. Driving the number 40 is Matthew Gould from Mooresville, North Carolina. He's driving that number 40 Worldwide Express Chevrolet for Nice Motorsports, and Phil Gould will be on top of the pit box. And on top of the pit box for Greg Van Alts is Jim Long, uh, Greg Van Alts is driving that familiar number 35. He hails from Anderson, Indiana, and is driving the CB Fabricating Ford. We talked about Canadian drivers, and Amber Balkane is one of them. Comes out of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. She'll be in the number 30 Icon Ford for Mark Rett, who's also going to crew chief for her. And then another female driver, the number 25, Tony Breidinger, Comes out of Hillsboro, California, with a Venturini, Kathy Venturini on Toyota, Monen Raman as the crew chief for that Pit Viper machine. All right. Next, uh, next up, we have another uh, Venturini automobile uh, driven by Jesse Love, the number 20 uh, Yahoo Toyota. Jesse hails from Redwood City, California. And he will have Shannon Rush on top of his pit box. Mark McFarlane will be on top of the pit box for the Kyle Busch Motorsports uh, TMC Toyota, driven by Sammy Smith from Johnston, Iowa. Uh, and he's driving that familiar number 18 for KBM. We'll see if we get to this one tonight on Hot Topics and Storyline here, but the number 17. David Gillen owned Ford for the time being is Taylor Gray. Comes out of Mooresville, North Carolina. Got Chad Johnston in his ear helping him out. And then the 15 is Landon Pendleton uh, from Amelia, Virginia. He'll be in the number, or 
Mobile One number 15 for Venturini Toyota with Kevin Reed Jr. calling the shots. All right. From Speedway, Indiana, Zachary Tinkle will be behind the wheel of the number 12 Racing for Rescue's AA Transport for Hillenburg. Uh, Dallas Brew is the crew chief. And Mike Schroof will be the crew chief for another Hillenburg, this one a Toyota, uh, driven by Brandon Barney, driving the number 11 DTS Franklin Park Lincoln Vans Tire Center Toyota, uh, and uh, Brandon Hales from Richmond, Michigan. And the gutter team-sponsored Hillenburg Toyota, that's going to be driven by Tony Constantino out of Mansfield, Ohio. Shows him crew chiefing for himself. We'll see how that goes. But then we have Raja Karuth, uh comes out of Washington, D.C., driving the number six Max Siegel Inc. Gamebridge sponsored Chevrolet for Max Siegel Red Racing with Brad Means as his crew chief. Okay, another Max Siegel vehicle driven by Nick Sanchez in the number two. He hails from Miami, Florida. He'll be driving that Gamebridge Max Siegel Inc. Chevrolet with Matt Butcher as the crew chief. And in the number zero is Nate Mueller from Lafayette, Ohio, driving the number zero GreatRailing.com Toyota for Wayne Peterson Racing. And Wayne Peterson will be on top of the pit box. And that should be the full 24-car field. Uh, now, we talked about a terrific championship battle for the Arkham Menard Series in the Drivers' Championship. There's an even closer battle for the series owner title headed into the Shores Lunch 200 presented by CGS Imaging this Saturday there at Toledo Speedway. For the drivers, Nick Sanchez has a two-point cushion over Daniel Dye headed into the season finale on Saturday. Meaning Dye needs to either win or finish three positions ahead of Sanchez to steal that title away from him. And that really is pretty much the story uh, for this Arkham and Art Series race. But I do want to catch everybody up with the fact that Daniel Dye did lock up the CGS Imaging Bill France Four Crown title by the slimmest of margins, Daniel Dye uh, locked up that crown at Salem Speedway by just one point over his rival for the overall Menard Series championship, and that was Nick Sanchez. Coming into the race with a two-point deficit, Dye finished third on the demanding high banks of Salem while Sanchez finished sixth. And the three-point swing was exactly what Dye needed to take in the season miniseries championship. Uh, that was established in 1984 as Bill France's uh, Triple Crown, and the program has celebrated the diversity of the racetracks in the Arkham Menard Series uh, on super speedways, paved short tracks, and dirt tracks. The program is now called the Four Crown and includes road courses, and is known as the Four Crown, uh, with uh, the driver who accumulates the most points in the designated races is crowned the champion. And those races this year were Charlotte Motor Speedway, Watkins Glen, Illinois State Fairgrounds, and Salem Speedway. So uh, congratulations to Daniel Dye. We do kind of have to move on here. We're running out of time quickly uh, to give you an update on the uh, on the truck series 
They are not racing this weekend, but they will be racing, uh, I believe, next weekend at Homestead, Miami. So uh, let me give you the details there. They're going to be racing the Baptist Health 200 uh, on Saturday, October the 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. The radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM Channel 90. The distance is 201 miles over 134 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 30. Stage 2 is also 30 laps, ending on lap 60. And the final stage is 74 laps, ending on lap 134. Well, on one uh, note here, out of the truck series, uh, regular driver Haley Deegan is going to make her Xfinity Series debut at Las Vegas uh, later this month, driving in the number 07 Ford with SS Greenlight Racing. Uh, Deegan's in her second full-time season in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series with David Gillen Racing. She's posted three top tens in her 44 starts and finished a career-high six last weekend at Talladega, which I believe is the highest finishing for a female. Yes, indeed. Uh, next up, we have the playoff bubble. Ekis, Friesen, Nemechek, and Ingfinger are right now outside the championship for cut line. And uh, for following the second race in the round of eight at Talladega Super Speedway, the postseason competitors are now tasked with trying to make the championship forum round with just one race to go. Thorsort Racing's Ty Majeski won at Bristol in the round of eight opener, and the non-playoff driver Matt Benedetto snagged a win just last weekend, leaving three spots still up for grabs. Now heading into the next playoff race, Chandler Smith and Jane Smith, Zane Smith assumed the second and third playoff spots. Ty Majeski's Thor Sport Racing teammate Ben Rhodes right now is ranked in the fourth and last transfer spot on points in that championship four round. Up only three points, though, on his teammate Christian Eckes, who sits in fifth. And behind Eckes is Helmar Friesen Racing's Stuart Friesen, who is in sixth place. He's three points down from the cut line. Then it's Kyle Busch Motorsports' John Hunter Nemechek in seventh, five points down, and GMS Racing's Grant Infinger in eighth, just 29 points down. We'll go over the clinch scenarios next week, uh, but we can uh, talk about Benedetto's uh, big win last weekend. Well, Talladega lived up to its name as uh, Benedetto snags his first NASCAR National Series win. Uh, Talladega Super Speedway is known for its wild racing and unexpected results, and last weekend was no exception. In his first year in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series, Benedetto, driver of the number 25 Rackley War Chevrolet, made his first ever trip to Victory Lane after a race that ended under caution. Uh, Benedetto is no rookie to NASCAR, making his first NASCAR National Series start in 2009, in the Xfinity Series at just 17 years old. He went on to run a part-time Xfinity Series schedule from 09 to 2019, posting 69 starts and two top tens. He's also posted 248 starts in the Cup Series between 2015 and 2021, scoring nine top fives and 31 top tens. 
in his uh, first in at the Camping World Truck Series this season. He posted the one win at Talladega, a one top five, and seven top tens. Now, he'll have a couple weeks to soak up that win before heading back to the track at Homestead Miami Speedway. Now, although he'll be heading to the 1.5-mile track looking to make his first start there in the truck series, he has given the track the go several times. In the cup series, he's posted seven starts with the best finish at 20th, which came in 2014. In the Xfinity series, he's made two starts. He doesn't give his finishes. Okay, so... Uh, definitely looking forward to seeing the uh, Truck Series back on track next weekend at Homestead, Miami. That will be an elimination race. I believe that's an elimination race, right, Jay? Where they pair it down to just four drivers after that race. Yes, that will, that will be the final one to determine the championship for that go to, uh, to Phoenix. Yes, and Phoenix is where that championship race is. And um, so this is this is going to be an exciting race to watch out at Homestead, Miami. And again, that race will take place on October the 22nd at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We will certainly be previewing that race uh, next week, uh, or is it the following week? Probably the following week we'll be previewing that race. So they've got a little time off here before they go to that elimination race. All right, next up is the Xfinity Series. Uh, They are racing this weekend. Uh, Their race is the Drive for the Cure 250, presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield of North Carolina. It will be at the Charlotte Roval this Saturday, October the 8th, starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse is $1,319,119. Uh, it'll be on NBC starting at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and radio coverage is available at PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 155.44 miles over 67 laps. Stage 1 and 2 are both 20 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 20, stage 2 on lap 40. The last stage is actually, what, 27 laps, and we'll end on lap 67. Well, and some huge news uh, as a race fan altogether, as Marco Andretti is set to make a NASCAR debut at the Charlotte Roval. He's a former NTT IndyCar driver, uh, be behind the wheel of the number 48 big machine racing Chevrolet, this weekend for the Drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of North Carolina. After retiring from full-time NTT IndyCar Series competition at the end of 2020, Andretti made his stock car debut in the SRX Series, scoring the 2022 championship. Now, he will be the first member of the Andretti family to start in a NASCAR National Series race since the late John Andretti competed in the 2010 Daytona 500. Okay, so we'll definitely look forward to seeing that. Also, it was announced that Chandler Smith is going to compete full-time in the Xfinity Series next year for college mm-hmm. racing. Uh, it will, he will join the 2023 Xfinity Series roster for college racing 
and at 20 year old 20 years old he has, he is a Georgian native and has signed a multi-year deal with College Racing and plans to compete for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year honors during that 2023 season as he drives the number 16 Chevrolet so currently his second he is second He's in his second full season in the Camping World Truck Series and has recorded five wins, 22 top fives, and 32 top ten finishes. Smith is also currently second in the Camping World Truck Series playoffs. So uh, big news for Chandler Smith today. All right, now we're going to move up to scouting of, yeah, scouting the playoff field at the Charlotte Road Course. Uh, we're one away, one race away from the start of the NASCAR Xfinity Series round to eight. So this weekend, the 10 drivers still fighting for their spot on the eight-driver field will compete in the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Take a look at their performances on the Charlotte Roval, and uh, we want to do two-by-two. Two. I'll start with Jeremy Clements, uh, driver of the number 51, driver Jeremy Clements Racing Chevrolet. He's got four starts on the Charlotte Roval cor- road course with a best finish of 11th with Chain in 2019. Brandon Jones, he's a driver right now, the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota. He'll be making his fifth start on the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course. He has one top five in 2021 and two top tens under his belt. Next up, we have Daniel Hamrick, driver of the number 11 Colleg Racing Chevrolet. He has three starts at the Charlotte Roval. Uh, That includes two top fives and three top ten finishes. Then there's Riley Earps. He's the driver of the number 98 Stuart Haas Racing Ford, and he has two starts on the Charlotte Roval with a best finish of 12th, and that came in 2020. Right now, Ryan Sieg, a thrilled driver, drives for the number 39 RSS Racing Ford. He'll be making his fifth Xfinity start at the Charlotte Road Course this weekend. His best finish is 21st, which came back in 2020. Now, Sam Mayer, driver of the number one junior motorsport Chevrolet, made his first and only start at the Charlotte Roval last season, where he posted a 10th place finish. Okay, then next up we have Justin Algauer, driver of the number seven Junior Motorsports Chevrolet, he's made all four Xfinity Series starts at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course. In his four starts, he's posted one top five and two top tens. Josh Berry, the driver of the number eight for Junior Motorsports Chevrolet, is posting his first Xfinity Series starts at the Roval this weekend. And we got Austin Hill. He's driver of the number 21 Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet. He'll be making his third Xfinity Series start this weekend at the Charlotte Road Course. He has a best finish at 18th in his two previous starts. Ty Gibbs, driver of the number 54 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, he'll be posting just his second start at the Charlotte Road Course this weekend. His only other start, he started 12th and finished 21st. Okay, the last two drivers we have here include A.J. Amendinger, the anointed king of the Xfinity Road Courses and driver of the number 16 College Racing Chevrolet, has three consecutive starts under his belt at the Charlotte Road Course and has yet to experience defeat. He's taken the checkered flag all three times 
even when starting deep in the field when he started 22nd in the year 2020. So uh, he'll definitely be a force to contend with this weekend. Also, Noah Gregson, he's the driver of the number nine junior motorsports Chevrolet. He's making his fourth Xfinity Series start on the Charlotte Roval. He's posted two top fives there and three top tens in his three previous starts. His average finish at the 2.32-mile track is a solid 4.3. Well, and that's uh, interesting for those drivers as they got one more race to go in the playoff round of 12. As mentioned, that the heading into the weekend, only two drivers, Noah Gregson and A.J. Allmendinger, have punched their ticket to the round of eight, which leaves 10 drivers vying for the residual six spots remaining. So time is of the essence for the remaining of these Xfinity Series playoff drivers, hoping to clinch their spot into the next round of the postseason, which kicks off at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on October 15th. So the clinch scenario via points, uh, if there's a repeat win or winner or win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, you can clinch by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements uh, wouldn't hold true if a new win comes from among Ty Gibbs, Austin Hill, Josh Berry, Justin Allgaier, Sam Mayer or Ryan Sieg. Now, Ty Gibbs only needs uh, seven points to clinch. Austin Hill could do it with 13. Josh Berry is starting to get a little bigger here. Josh Berry needs 29. Justin Allgaier, 31. Sam Mayer, 43. And Ryan Sieg, 50. Daniel Hemrick, Riley Herbst, Brandon Jones, and Jeremy Clements can only do so with some help. Now, if there's a new winner from Daniel Hemrick or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, then you have to be ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. For Ty Gibbs, that's 13 points. Austin Hill, 19. Josh Berry is at 35. And Justin Algar, 37. And Sam Mayer, 50 which puts Ryan Sieg, Daniel Hemrick, Riley Herbst, and Brandon Jones, along with Jeremy Clements, as needing help. Uh, Simple as always, if you win, you're in. So all drivers are still eligible now to clinch with a victory. Yes, indeed. So uh, I can't wait for this race. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Now, it is an elimination race, and that means it is going to challenge the playoff contenders. The Xfinity Series is crossing the last road course of the season off the 2022 schedule this weekend as they head to Charlotte Motor Speedway's road course for the drive for the Cure 250 presented by Blue Cross Blue Shield on Saturday. This weekend's elimination race will be the fifth time that the Roval has hosted a NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff race from 2018 to 22. The Robo has occupied two spots on the next for Xfinity Series playoff schedules. Uh, from 2018 to 19, the Robo hosted the second race in the playoffs, and that was in the round of 12. And then from 2020 to 22, uh, the 2.32-mile track has hosted the round of 12 elimination race, the third race of the playoffs. Now, the inaugural Robo Xfinity Series playoff race was on September the 29th of 2018, and that was won by Chase Briscoe. 
In the years since then, A.J. Allmendinger has been the only other victor, taking the checkered flag the last three consecutive years from 2008, 19, 20, and 21. Now, although Allmendinger has three wins under his belt, the race record from his win in 2018 at 81.267 miles per hour. With Briscoe competing full-time in the Cup Series and in his own playoff hunt, Almondinger is the only previous winner entered in this weekend's Drive for the Cure 250. A few drivers entered in this weekend's race should be considered uh, road course veterans as they've raced in every Xfinity Series road course race at the track since the inaugural race in 2018. That includes Justin Algauer, Jeremy Clements, Ryan Sieg, Brandon Jones, Josh Balicki, and Alex LeBay. There is yet to be a driver to win from the pole or the first starting spot at Charlotte Motor Speedway's road course, so expect the field to hit the gas just a little bit harder as they head into practice on Saturday starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, followed by uh, qualifying at 10.30 a.m. on that NBC Sports app. So, uh, again, this is going to be a fun race to watch. It's an elimination race, uh, and uh, they will pair down to the round of eight after this event. Any thoughts there, Jay? No, you're right. It's going to be interesting. Uh, four drivers that aren't going to be moving on to the next round. That's always intense uh, waiting on that. And then, as you mentioned, the Charlotte Roval. Uh, I know a lot of fans are, are really happy with the placement of this racer as a cutoff race because this track, and I was one of them, kind of had questions about it, put making a, a road course inside the regular track and why we needed to do that when we had real. It's worked out amazingly well. I got to say that. It has. And after this race at the Roval this weekend, there'll be three more races in the round of eight at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on October the 15th, Homestead Miami Speedway on October the 22nd, and then Martinsville will be the next elimination race on October the 29th. And that will tell us who the championship four drivers will be to compete for the title at the uh, NASCAR Xfinity Series Championship Race at Phoenix Raceway on November the 5th. So uh, this is a big one. We'll have to see how it all plays out. i got to see who makes turn one first. I know that, uh, that's been more <laughs> on the cup side than the Xfinity side, though. That's true. That's true. Speaking of the Cup Series, they're racing this weekend as well. The Bank of America Roval 400 at the Charlotte uh, Roval, that will be on Sunday, October the 9th at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. The purse, $7,262,080. That will be televised on NBC starting at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. And radio coverage will be on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio, radio 90. They'll be racing a distance of 252.88 miles over 109 laps. Stage 1 and Stage 2 are 25 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 25, Stage 2 on lap 50, the last 9 laps ending on lap 109. Well, I almost think these news and notes uh, were set up for me as the first thing I'm going to cover here. 
for the Bank of America Rovo 400 is the featured matchups that fans can bet on heading into the weekend's event. And we'll start with Daniel Suarez versus Joey Logano. Now, as we enter that final race of the round of 12, Daniel Suarez and Joey Logano are currently above the cut line. And I didn't look at this. I don't know if this takes into account today's adjustment. So I think these stats might be a little off. We'll I'll see here. Uh, right now, Logano sits in fifth place while Suarez is in seventh. Suarez, the winner of the Sonoma race at Sonoma, is only 12 points above the round of eight, and that's not true because he got bumped back down, I believe. Uh, Suarez's first career win, win came at Sonoma earlier this year and has shown that he is a talented road course driver. In the five road courses this year, Suarez has three top fives. Now, Logano has a solid record at road courses this year as well. After not posting a top 20 in the first three, Logano then finished sixth at Indianapolis and third at Watkins Glen. He also has top tens in each of the last four races at the Roval. Now, both of them need to be on their best on Sunday and avoid any mishaps to ensure that they uh, stay or get above that cut line. I say I think Suarez is now down again. Um, but to advance to that round of eight, they also got to watch that points cut line. Yes, indeed. Uh, our next uh, matchup is between Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe. Uh, great friends off the track, Austin Sindrick and Chase Briscoe will likely be battling with one another on the final, for that final spot in the round of eight this weekend at the Charlotte Roval. Now, both drivers are currently tied at 3,069 points, putting them right around, right along that round of eight cut line in the playoff standings. And although both are young and experienced in the Cup Series, Sendrick and Briscoe have shown that they are top-tier road course ringers. So it should be fun to watch these two Fords battle amongst each other uh, to have their best race of the season. Both Sendrick and Briscoe racked up wins at road courses in the Xfinity Series. It's been a great season for both drivers already this year, but they may have to fight for only one spot this weekend if they want their season to continue. Now, this one involves the uh, difference here. Christopher Bell versus William Byron. Byron's penalty overturned. He got his 25 points back. Um, so it's not for the race that either Bell or Byron were looking for as they left Talladega, both finishing outside the top 10. Coming into the race, they were both sitting behind the cut line, although Byron's now up by 14, I believe. Uh, but they're still going to want to look to rack up stage points. As we run into this elimination race at the Charlotte Roval, both of them will want to do everything they can in order to advance to that round of eight. Byron, uh, now 14 points above the cut line, while Bell is 33 points behind. And although he's never won on the road course, Byron's 121.8 driver rating at the Roval is the highest in the field. Bell only posts a rating of 83.9, but he's shown that he is incredibly competitive at the road courses. The winner of the Daytona road course last year will likely need to win, though, this weekend if he has any chance to advance into the round of eight. Okay, yes, indeed. Our last matchup is the fan vote matchup, and that's Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson. 
Chase Elliott made the perfect move at the right time, passing Ryan Blaney to take home that checkered flag from Talladega Super Speedway last weekend, and he secured his the first spot into the round of eight. Elliott also won stage two, and right now he sits on top of the playoff standings. Since he's clenched his spot into the round of eight, the Robo should be a stress-free race for Elliott, who will look for his first road course win of the season. His counterpart, Kyle Larson, won the last road course race at Watkins Glen, while Elliott finished in fourth place. Larson finished 18th at Talladega and currently sits sixth in the playoff standings and 18 points above the round of eight cut line. With this week being an elimination race in the round of 12, Larson is probably feeling good about his chances to advance if he can replicate his performance at Watkins Glen. Larson and Elliott are known as two of the best road course uh, ringers in the Cup Series. So there's a good chance that these two are battling for the win come this Sunday uh, when they're headed to that checkered flag. With that, as we get into some notes, uh, it's more about 2023, and that's the return of A.J. Allmendinger to full-time cup racing. College Racing announced uh, this week that A.J. Allmendinger will return to full-time NASCAR Cup Series competition for 2023 as he jumps behind the wheel of the number 16. Now, Allmendinger is currently competing in the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoffs for College Racing and has won the last two regular season championships in the series. 21-2022. Okay. Uh, now, these drivers are going to have to keep digging as they race their way into the round of 12. Uh, and there have been some drivers that have raced their way into the playoffs in this elimination race. So uh, there's a brief history here spanning from 2014 to 2021, Jay. So uh, let's kind of go every other one from the top down this time. All right. Uh, 2014, at that time, as they headed into Talladega, which was the sixth race of the playoffs that year, it was Matt Kenseth ranked ninth in the playoff standings, one point behind the round of eight cutoff, and Brad Keselowski ranked 10th in the standings, 19 points behind the cutoff. Brad Keselowski won the race at Talladega and automatically advanced in the next round, while Kenseth finished second and advanced on points uh, to the next round and knocking out Casey Kane, who finished 12th, and then Kyle Busch, who finished 40th. Heading into the elimination race, Kyle Busch was second in the standings, 26 points above the cut line, and Kane was eighth, with just one point above the round of eight line. Okay. In 2015, give me just a second here, uh, heading to Talladega, the sixth race of the playoffs in, in that year, Kyle Busch was ranked ninth in the playoff standings. He was six points back from the round of eight cutoff. Bush finished 11th at Talladega and advanced on points, knocking his Joe Gibbs Racing teammate Denny Hamlin, who finished in 37th place at Talladega due to an incident. He knocked him out of the playoffs. Heading into the elimination race, Denny Hamlin was second in the playoff standings, 18 points above that round of eight cutoff. 
So uh, that was pretty momentous. In 2017, it was Kansas that was the sixth race of the playoffs, the elimination race, and Kyle Busch was ranked ninth, seven points back from the cut line. Busch went on to finish 10th and advanced on points, knocking Kyle Larson, who had a 39th place finish due to an engine failure. Now, heading into the elimination race, it was Kyle Larson was third in the playoff standing, 29 points above the round of eight. Wow, there's some big points uh, that were given up here in these couple <laughs> we're reading about. Yes, indeed. Uh, in 2017, heading to Kansas, that was the sixth race of the playoffs that year, Kyle Busch was ranked ninth in the playoff standings. He was seven points back from that round of eight cutoff. Bush then went on to finish 10th at Kansas and advanced in on points, knocking Kyle Larson, who had a 39th place finish at Kansas due to an engine failure, out of the playoffs. Now heading into the elimination race, Kyle Larson was third in the playoff standings, 29 points above that round of eight cutoff. Just goes to show a lot can happen in these races. Yes, and does certainly happen. In 2018, the four drivers below the round of eight cut line in that sixth race at Kansas, it was Brad, Kle- Brad Kozlowski, uh, minus one, Ryan Blaney, minus five, Kyle Larson, minus 19, and Alex Bowman, minus 51. Now, all of those failed to advance to the round of eight and eliminated from the playoffs. At Kansas, it was Larson who finished third but still didn't make up enough points, Kozlowski, six, Blaney, seventh, and Bowman, ninth. Okay, in 2019, again heading to Kansas Speedway, the sixth race of the playoffs, Chase Elliott was ranked 10th in the playoff standings. He was 15 points back from the round of eight cutoff. So Elliott went on to finish second at Kansas and was able to advance in on points, knocking out Brad Keselowski, who finished 19th at that race. So that moved him out of the playoffs and heading into the elimination race. Keselowski was fifth in the playoff standings. He was nine points above that round of eight cutoff. So uh, that's a hard pill to swallow. In 2020, that was when we started with Charlotte Motor Speedway Road Course, or the Roval, as that sixth race in the cutoff. Uh, Kurt Kurt Busch was ranked 10th, five points back uh, from the cut line. Kurt went on to finish fourth in that race and advanced on points as he knocked out Austin Dillon, who had a 19th place finish and ended up out of the playoffs. Going into the race, Dillon was eighth in the, sp- in the playoff standings, tied with Kyle Busch and ninth on points uh, along that line with 3,053 each. Okay, last year, the four drivers below the round of eight cut line heading into the sixth race of last year's Cup Series playoffs at Charlotte Motor Speedway's Roval was Kevin Harvick down nine points, Christopher Bell down 28, William Byron down 44, and Alex Bowman 52. All of those four drivers failed to advance to the round of eight and were eliminated from the playoffs after the Charlotte Roval race. Bell finished eighth, Byron 11th, and Bowman finished in 10th place. So uh, didn't quite go according to uh, what they wanted. Uh, but it's pretty tight this year as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. 
Uh, it will indeed. And I don't know, uh, Sharon, here, if the, the playoff doesn't at the Roval, that's the chart I said that isn't showing up real well on email. Okay, yeah. The, just cover the uh, playoff level for Cindric, Byron, Bell, and Bowman, who could be facing elimination uh, this with this race. All right. Uh, it all comes down to this one last race for the drivers facing that elimination this weekend in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. The challengers below the round of eight cut line have showcased their, have to showcase their best <coughs> excuse me, skills this weekend at the Charlotte Motor Speedway road course if they want to move on in the postseason. And following the wild Talladega Speedway, Super Speedway race, uh, Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe currently resides in eighth and in the final transfer spot. Uh, again, that's changed with William Byron's uh, points back, so mm-hmm. we'll get that's an updated true. points on that. But uh, Austin Sindrick should be back uh, points and tied with Briscoe, but Briscoe owns the tiebreaker as far as the best finish of the round. Now, it's Hendrick Motorsports, William Byron. He was at minus 11, goes up to plus 14, uh, that's what changed all this. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing, Christopher Bell is still at minus 33 and 11th, and then Hendrick Motorsports' Alex Bowman at minus 54. Now, Bowman has already announced he will not be in the number 48 Chevrolet this weekend. Instead, it will be Noah Gregson behind the wheel. So, uh, driver-wise, Bowman will be eliminated. That's true. Uh, they will be able to... Uh compete for owner's points, though, with Noah Gregson in that car this weekend. Um, There is a lot of information here that gives some of the history of uh, the races uh, at uh, at the Charlotte Roval, but uh, just suffice it to say, uh, there is, again, a lot on the line for this race uh, going into uh, the weekend because uh, when this race is over, four more drivers will be eliminated, and some of those points are pretty tight, uh, and they could uh, make it in uh, to, I would say, Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick probably have the best chance of racing their way in if they were to get a win or if they were able to, uh, you know, finish. Uh, in a position that is ahead of those drivers uh, that are currently in that top eight. So this is going to be a one to watch and uh, with a lot of excitement on the line. It it certainly is, and I I was looking through this, of uh, the one it talked about with, I didn't see it, Todd, we didn't talk about it, but uh, Jimmy Johnson having the shot to advance and went for the win and ended up taking himself out. Uh, Jimmy McMurray talked about that because Kyle Larson is the one that advanced um, by points and racing around, bouncing off the wall because he had a tire down. I don't know if you recall that McMurray uh, talked about it. That was his big memory from the Roval uh, over the past couple of years. Yep. Uh, And there's going to be more memories that are created this weekend uh, and uh, for all of these drivers. Uh, especially the top eight that are going to be advancing. Uh, It's going to be kind of the thrill of victory, if you will. Uh, For those drivers that don't make it into that round of eight, it's going to be the agony of defeat and and a disappointment 
for sure. And I've got a feeling there might be a few drivers that might be upset with each other when this race is all said and done as well. Well, that's okay. We got drivers that get upset with each other, but still manage to get along. And then we got uh, hosts that don't agree with each other and still get along. <laughs> well, that leads right into our next uh, subject here. It is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, and even though we don't always agree, uh, you're right. We do depart uh, as friends all the same. So with that, uh, joining us uh, so far is Mike Orzel. Uh, welcome to the show, Mike. Hello, good evening, everybody. A little bit earlier than usual, so you got 30 minutes to set your DVR for Race for the Championship, starting in 30 minutes on USA Network. I always appreciate that reminder, Mike, because uh, I do like to record that and make sure that we get that uh, uh, available for me to watch when when we're done with the show. Also joining us uh, for tonight's show is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Hey, thanks. How's it going, guys? It's going very well. It's nice to have you back with us. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's go ahead and uh, go to our first hot topic for tonight. Andy, why don't you kick us off? This one is a bit fresh. It came out actually today, and it involves um, the appeal of William Byron's penalty following the incident at Texas in which he intentionally spun Denny Hamlin under caution. They have removed the points penalty in lieu of a $100,000 fine. Really want to know what everybody thinks about this one. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Okay, uh, Mike, your thoughts. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I said when this incident first happened that NASCAR needed to set an example and make an example of William Byron, and they tried to do it, and then the penalty got overturned. And it shows you just how meaningless a financial penalty is to these teams because they gladly took a doubling of the financial penalty just to get those points back. So now we're, we're back to an ineffective, toothless penalty that means nothing for the team and likely will do nothing to improve the behavior. I really don't like it. I'm hoping – I understand this wasn't NASCAR's decision. This was the Motorsports uh, Appeal Board. So this is not NASCAR who makes that decision. It's an independent body that NASCAR has no influence or control over. But hopefully next season for 2023, NASCAR could put it a little bit more in writing so there's not as much wiggle room, and there's more clearly defined penalties in place for drivers who decide they're going to use their car as a weapon and take out other competitors, put their other competitors at risk, and affect the outcome of races through their own actions that have nothing to do with actually racing the car. So I'm incredibly disappointed by this outcome. Okay, Jay. Well, that didn't take long for somebody to be upset. Uh, Fortunately, it's not necessarily at me. However, he might be by the time he gets around to the second time because I kind of understand this. I'm not as opposed to it as Mike is, but it is extremely, extremely confusing. Uh, First off, uh, and I listened, I think, from 2 o'clock when Sirius XM Speedway with Dave Moody started up until through part of Claire B. Lang's show. 
from both the those within the industry as well as the fans. It, it, there's a wide range. This is the fourth penalty this year that has been overturned, which, I mean, we all talk about it, that, you know, winning an appeal when NASCAR puts one out is unheard of. We've had four this year that have been overturned. Now, this one, and I know when we first talked about it following the incident, I agreed with Mike, throw the book at him, hit him with every page. However, after, after looking at it uh, and understanding the situation a little more and some other inputs, I kind of understand it being changed. It did not change the way I thought it would, though. The one thing I w- thought would change was the points, and not that they would take all of them away, but reduce it. I think it was Kyle Petty that mentioned it. Um, when you're in the playoffs, a 25-point hit is the equivalent to five race wins. You've got to make that up in three races. Okay? So maybe only take 10 or 15, somewhere a little bit less. That's kind of what I expected, and certainly not what we got of it completely being taken away. The weird thing, and Dave Moody talked about this, by doing so, they didn't even move it from an L2 to an L1 because both of those require a points deduction of some sort, which is, like I said, where it gets really confusing. That doesn't mean they can't monetarily fine drivers for actions detrimental to uh, the sport, but we also saw Noah Gregson's um, one back from the road course. I don't remember what road course it was with Sage Karam where they did and took, and again, at that time, I think that was a 10-point one. That was even before the playoffs started. So 10 points is kind of what I expected. And I'll talk about why I think things might have happened the way they did uh, on my second go-around here. Okay. Uh, Unfortunately, I did not get to listen to any of the radio coverage or race hub or any of that uh, to get any idea of what uh, other people in the industry are saying. But I was kind of disappointed as well that they took that uh, points penalty away. Uh, your clarification helps a little bit, Jay, uh, but it's still confusing to me of why they took all of the points out of the penalty uh, and went with the fine. To me, it was giving them a green light to go out and do it again uh, because we all know uh, that that money does not seem to be an effective uh, penalty for a lot of these drivers. The points are what really affect the drivers. And, and yeah, that's the equivalent to five races. Um, so, yeah, knock it down to 10 or 15 points instead of 25 points. Uh, but don't take all of those points away. Uh, I was disappointed with it. Uh, and I'm kind of curious to hear what Jay's rationale for why it might make sense to take those points away. But uh, I, I do not in any way, shape, or form uh, think that it's okay for drivers to use their car as a weapon, whether it's on pit road or on the track. During the caution, uh, it is an absolute no. And I would think that a driver like uh, Kyle Busch, uh, who's been penalized for those kind of things, uh, would be really upset at this appeal uh, as well, being overturned uh, from the points perspective. So uh, I think William Byron slid by this one 
uh, I think he's a smart enough guy to know that what he did was wrong, and I don't think he's going to do it again. But that doesn't negate the fact that there should have been a stiffer penalty in my mind. Andy? Yeah, I agree with, with everything that's been said so far. And, and because, honestly, $100,000 for a Cup Series team or driver is pocket change. That means absolutely nothing. I don't think it drives the point home. The points penalty may have eliminated William Byron from the round of, uh, you know, the ability to move to the round of eight. Now he's above the cut line with a solid chance to advance. I don't think any lessons are learned here. I think that what this does is not only, uh, you know, sends the message that this behavior is somehow acceptable with a small monetary penalty, but it also opens the door for repeat offenders and also opens the door for other drivers to possibly you know, act in the same manner, knowing that the president has insisted that it's only going to be a, a monetary penalty. So this is a 1,000% the wrong decision. And I realize this is in a, an appeals process that, that determined this, not the NASCAR penalty. Um, but it's incredibly frustrating to see this because, um, you know, I, I think the points penalty was a far bigger um actual penalty to the 24 team than a monetary penalty. I think that's a laughing, you know, I think they're laughing all the way to the bank on that one. I don't think they care at all about paying a hundred thousand dollars. I think the fact that they've gone from below to above the cut line means far more to them going into, Oh, by the way, an elimination race at the Roval this weekend. So this has playoff implications. Um, for example, you look at, you know, Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick were tied for the cut line. They're now 12 points below the cut line. So, you know, this these actions here in the subsequent penalty and the subsequent reversal of the penalty are going to have an impact on the playoffs moving forward. But I think let's, let's get to the root of it here. You know, Byron intentionally spins out Hamlin and gets penalized for it and then effectively rescinded the penalty. In my mind, $100,000 isn't a penalty when you look at the money that Hendrick Motorsports has and what William Byron has. So effectively, they got slapped on the hand for this one. And I think the real problem is, you know, it encourages them to maybe do it again. It encourages other teams and drivers to say, hey, look, I can do the same thing, and I'm only going to get a penalty for, for money out of this. You know, So it's a problem. It's, it's really unfortunate. I think that the penalty that was given was, was acceptable. I think we probably talked about that when it was issued a week or two ago. Um, very, very disappointed to see the outcome of this. And, and uh, I, I don't know what this means moving forward, but I think it's, it sends the, the wrong message to everybody in the NASCAR community. Mike, your follow-up? Well, I'm going to have to disagree with Andy on one of his points there. He said there were no lessons learned, and I strongly disagree. There was a lesson learned. You can come to the table, and you can buy your way out of having a significant points penalty. All you got to do is say no. Please, just double our financial penalty and give us our points back. And if you can talk them into doing it, well, then you just bought yourself back into the season. What's an extra, like Andy said, what's an extra 50 grand to Hendricks Motorsports? That's Rick Hendricks walking around money. That, that's nothing to them. 
the points are what matters and the points are what they got back. And the penalty, the financial side of the penalty is completely irrelevant. Hendrick Motorsports in the 24 team has effectively bought themselves out of that penalty and bought themselves back into contention for the round of eight. Not that William Byron had been completely eliminated, but he was in a hole he had to dig himself out of entirely as a result of his actions on the racetrack. Now, there are no on-track consequences that he has to deal with for his behavior because all those consequences got wiped away. I doubt William Byron himself personally takes that money out of his own pocket. It probably just comes out of the team's operating budget. So there was zero penalty whatsoever applied to correct the driver's behavior. And don't think that went unnoticed by other teams. Everyone else is seeing this and saying, well, here's a precedent that has been set, and the next time we do something like that, we can come to the table and say, well, the last time there was a penalty like this because of this kind of behavior, this was the outcome, and if you don't give us a similar outcome, we have a legitimate case to say that we're being treated unfairly, and that's the big precedent here. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. I'm really curious to hear what your justification is. Okay, first off, let, let me say, I don't necessarily agree with it. Like I said, I thought there would still be some points, and I have always agreed with, with everybody else here that the monetary thing, even though they elevated it, isn't the corrective action. Uh, with that, though, and I, I can't find anything on Twitter or anywhere that talks about it, uh, they don't release exactly why the panel overturned it, but there was some talk about the procedure and how NASCAR find them. And I think it goes back to, and this is my opinion, uh, again, the, and some within the industry, some callers that, that brought it up throughout the day, but the fact that NASCAR didn't see it and handle it during the race and tried to penalize it after the fact. Um, had, they, had they parked William Byron for that race, he would only lost about 20 points. Uh, I believe is what it was, 20 or 21. It was less than the 25 he was going to receive. Second off, the intentionally spinning him out. He did not go up, hook him, and turn him. He bumped him in the back end. Denny Hamlin lost the car and went off into the grass. Now, do I think that should be allowed? Absolutely not. We talked about that. Denny might have been getting a drink of water, not even had his hands on the steering wheel, talking to his radio or on his radio, whatever. So I do think it was an unsafe thing. But William Byron did not get into him, drive through him, and spin him out. He bumped him, and Denny Hamlin happened to have spun out. So there, that, I think, comes into play uh, when you're saying he intentionally spun him out. Because although William Byron admitted to hitting him, he said, I did not intend to spin him out. And if you look at the way he hit him, it was straight right in the rear. He did not hit him from the side and turn into him to hook him. So I think there was some of that that maybe got presented in there intentionally trying to spin him out versus just bump him. We've seen that before. They showed a replay of Brad Keselowski and Austin Dillon at Michigan. Drivers that go up and rub one another or bump them in the side to express their frustration. And that's never been penalized. Now, going back to had he been penalized during the race, if they park him, that's one thing. If they put him to the tail end of the longest line, he has the chance to get some of that back, as Denny Hamlin did. And I don't remember what position Denny said he went from back in the pack up to eighth, I believe, is where he finished. I'm not 100% sure on that. But so that Denny, uh, although he took a penalty by being spun out, was able to gain it back. 
You take 25 points away in one race, there's no way to get that back. So, and now, like I said, this is all purely from me and what I've heard from throughout the radio shows today, other people, as well as some of your hosts, uh, Dave Moody, Daniel Trotta, and Claire B. Lang, of the thought process of why it might have been overturned. Okay. Well, it, it is an interesting thought process, and I, I get where you're coming from, but I still don't feel that um, – I think the bottom line for me is, do I want to see William Byron crowned as our next champion? And at this stage, I don't think I really want to see that at this point. Uh, I think that there should have been some kind of penalty. Like I said, for even though he, he may have hit him directly on the back, he still did it under caution. And uh, I don't know if it was an overreaction from Denny. Like you said, maybe he was, uh, you know, not paying that close of attention, uh, wasn't expecting someone to hit him from the back, and that's why he ended up in the infield. But um, I still think it's a very dangerous thing to do. Uh, Whether he intended to do it or didn't, it still happened. And he did put people at risk. So I think that there should have been a stiffer penalty. Um, I get what you're saying, that he had a chance to make it up had NASCAR caught it sooner. Uh, but I, there, there are replays that are used in football, uh, although those replays are typically uh, acted upon a lot more quickly than two or three days later. But um, I, I do think that uh, there should have been more of a penalty uh, directly to William Byron, and I don't feel like this monetary fine was enough to do it. Um, all we can do at this point is hope that William Byron gets it and doesn't ever do that again. Uh, but I, I kind of agree that we've also set the precedence that if anybody else does it this year, uh, there, there's uh, not going to be much of a, a consequence for doing it. And I think that that's a wrong precedence that we want to set within the garage area. So uh, I'm not I'm not real excited about it, although I I do have an appreciation for where you where you're coming from, Jay. Andy, you get the last word here. Well, I would have to say, Sharon, you speak about the possibility of William Byron winning a championship. I tend to think that if you're Denny Hamlin in that team, you're not going to let that happen. So I. <laughs> um, I think justice gets its way down the road, um, whether that's, you know, next week or Martinsville or, or Phoenix. I mean, I, I tend to think that if you're Joe Gibbs racing in the 11 team, you're going to be frustrated by today's ruling and you'll do what it takes to prevent him from being the champion down the road. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Andy. Okay. Let's go ahead and move on to our next hot topic. Mike, you're up next. Well, there's a couple big uh, stories regarding new drivers and different rides. I'll start with the first one. Andy's second most favoritist up-and-coming Ford development driver, Haley Deegan, will be driving the number seven SS Greenlight Ford at Las Vegas for her Xfinity Series debut. Okay. Jay? Well, uh, this one might be unpopular by a lot, but I'm excited to see it. I understand she has not lit the world on fire in the truck series, 
We don't know yet what the plans for 2023 are, um, and there's a lot that comes into play there when it pertains to another hot topic of DGR and what brand or manufacturer they're going to run next year. And then an individual person, as in the driver, Haley Deegan's, ties to an OEM as well. Um, I think that it's a great opportunity for her. And I know Las Vegas is near her hometown, uh, being from California. So I'm all for it. It is one of those that you got to give the benefit of the doubt. The trucks are different than the Xfinity series. And this is one where... Uh, yeah, you guys don't go into shock. I kind of disagree with Dave Moody. He said if you're not like winning races and at the top at one level, you shouldn't be moving up to the next level. These are different. We've seen it. And I'll go back to Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson did not win in the Xfinity Series. He is a seven-time cup champion, though. So obviously there is a difference. They match up well. We may see that. I don't know. I don't feel she shouldn't be given the opportunity, though, just because second is of the question of why what is the purpose a sponsor wants to be on somebody's car and in, in, in any series to get attention you have a driver like and i hate, hate the fact that it's a lot of it, times it's females but danica patrick or Haley deegan in this case they have the following they have the social media following the sponsor is getting out of it what they want and that's the attention to their brand so they're willing to go on the car, then where she finishes is kind of irrelevant. Okay, Andy? Yeah, so I I don't know the details of this per se, but I believe this is a collaborative effort with Stuart Haas Racing with the 07, like we've seen with Cole Custer and Chase Briscoe earlier this year, which means it will effectively be an SHR car, with SHR personnel, which I think is a top-of-the-line opportunity for her to get experience in the Xfinity series. Um, You know, what this means for her future remains to be seen. Um, Jay alluded to, you know, the truck series future, and I suppose we'll talk about that later on. But, um, you know, there are quite a few question marks, I think, with Ford's development program, um, whether it be the truck or Xfinity series. And so... um, I I think it, from her standpoint, this is a great opportunity. Um, you know, I want to compare this. You know, a lot of people will say, and, and, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I've been critical of her because we haven't seen the success in the truck series. It just hasn't been there. Uh, Mike and I have talked about it frequently in the race day chats. Um, there's That's no lie. That being said, I would like to make a comparison to Harrison Burton, who struggled immensely in KBM Truck Series equipment and then proceeded to join Joe Gibbs Racing and won, and won races and was competitive. Um, some drivers' driving styles um, may be better suited for the Xfinity Series over the Truck Series. So until I see what she does, I, I'm going to have to say that this is a good opportunity and there's no reason to think that she can't go and, and find some success and be competitive. Um, you know, and, and I can reserve my ultimate opinion until after we see the results. But, you know, it, it is a good opportunity, especially if it is in collaboration with SHR. Um, obviously, they've got a, a good Xfinity program with fast equipment, as we've seen with, with Custer and Briscoe this year. And, you know, Herbs has started to improve some. Um, so, I mean, we know, we know what that program's capable of. Um, and, and I am curious to see what she does. It could very well be 
that the Xfinity Series cars better suit her driving style, and maybe she finds some success there. So, um, nonetheless, a great opportunity for her, and um, maybe this is what she needs to do to, you know, to take that next step forward and, and find success. Yes, indeed. I do think that um, a lot of that has been pinned on to Haley Deegan and and the potential for her success. Uh, that puts a lot of pressure on a person, and we'll have to see how she handles that coming into the Xfinity Series. Um, yeah, uh, you're right, Andy. Chase Briscoe and Cole Custer have both driven that car this year uh, in select races, and they've done fairly well. Uh, in that Stuart Haas equipment, uh, even though it's the SS Greenlight Racing 07 that they're driving. Uh, so it, that is part of their affiliation with Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, it's also an opportunity, uh, I think, in those cases with Cole Custer and, and uh, uh, Chase Briscoe getting behind the wheel for SS Greenlight Racing to kind of improve their organization and maybe see if there are things that they need to, they can do better uh, in order to help that car perform better on the track. So <clears throat> is it, I, I agree with Jay as well that even though she did not do well in the truck series, it does not mean that she might not do well in the Xfinity series. Only time is going to give us the rest of that story, and we'll have to see what happens. I'm, I'm with you guys. I can't wait to see what happens and to see how well she does. Uh, and I would have to use uh, the performance of Cole Custer and Chase Briscoe as kind of a, a measuring stick, I guess, uh, if you will, to kind of measure what her performance is going to be in that same car. So uh, we'll see what she does on the road course. Uh, she's going to have uh, her, her uh, work cut out for her, uh, but I think it is time for her to start showing us what she can do on the track uh, as a race car driver uh, and uh, see if she can uh, – make some friends out there on the track at the same time versus uh, I know in the past we've had situations with her where she's kind of booted people out unapologetically in order to get a win in in the lower tier series. So I think she's kind of moved away from that. I haven't seen her do that recently. Um, so hopefully this is going to be a learning experience for her and an opportunity for us to show us what her skill and talent is. We'll see what happens. Mike? So there's a lot of people on social media and whatnot who want to write off Haley Deegan right now and say it's over, pull the plug, send her home, whatever. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think the her window of opportunity is rapidly closing. She is still very young. I think she's only 20 or 21 years old. As Jay said, she's incredibly marketable, which goes a long way, but – the big thing that drivers do, successful drivers, is they take advantage of the opportunities that they have. Maybe something isn't compatible. Reference Jimmy Johnson in the trucks or the Xfinity Series. I understand that. And you know, when you get an opportunity, maybe it doesn't work out as well for you. My concern with Haley Deegan is the lack of progress in an otherwise stable team. She's in her third, series in the, uh, third season in the truck series, second full-time season. She did uh, part-time in 2020 and then full-time in 21 and 22. And for her time there, she has zero wins, zero top fives, three top tens, 
zero laps led, not even in a pit sequence, if she come out and led a single lap in the truck series. And most concerning is the regression. So her average start in 2021, last year, her first full-time season was 18. And then her average finish was 21. Or, or I'm sorry, her average uh, uh, finish in 2021 was 20.9. Compare that against this year, average start 21. So three positions further back in the field to start. Average finish, 22, a full one and a half positions back from the previous year. So she's not improving in that truck. And it's not for lack of equipment. We've seen Tanner Gray do very well in SS Greenlight equipment. And Ryan Priest, when he's in the 17 truck, he's a, he's a contender for wins on every single time he's in the truck. So I'm not sure what the reasoning is for Haley Deegan. Hopefully she can take advantage of this SS Greenlight opportunity because unless she starts showing some promise somewhere, these opportunities are going to start drying up and people are going to move on no matter how young or how marketable she may be. Okay, Jay, your follow-up? Well, I think we read it in the preview. She has had two career best finishes in the past three races, I believe. I know the one sixth at Talladega, which is the best by a female driver, and then 14th, and I don't remember the race that was at. But they've both been in the last three weeks. So there again, I understand, and we know if you look at any given race day sheet, where you finish isn't always indicative of how you've run. I understand that's what gets looked at as the overall, but that doesn't always indicate how you ran during that race. So there, there's always other factors, and I know Mike doesn't like to hear it, but if somebody's willing to pay to put you in a vehicle – you're going to get a ride because that is what it takes to get the car on the track is money in behind it. So this may be one of those cases. Uh, I know we have several and different people have different opinions of who they are that have no talent, but have money behind them. And I, I don't feel like she has no talent. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she doesn't have talent, but she definitely brings money because she is marketable. Okay. Uh, Andy. Yeah, you know, I, I just look at this as a really good opportunity. Um, be curious to see, you know, if this is an SS Greenlight car or if this is really an SHR car that's being operated as SS Greenlight Racing. Um, that will make a difference because, um, you know, one is effectively an SHR entry, one's not, but... Either way, um, the ability to move from the truck series to the Xfinity series is a big step forward. And, and like I said, I want her to succeed. I, I, I think I don't think anyone doesn't want her to succeed. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe these cars, you know, fit her driving style better. Maybe she's a better fit, you know, with with this particular team and, and maybe this is what she needs to run better. Now, you know, I think we've got to cut her some slack. It will be her debut in the series. Um, so I don't think we can anticipate her going out leading a hundred laps and winning the race, but you know, I think a respectable finish in the top 15 with a clean race car would be very good. So um, we'll see what happens, you know, but um, we have to consider this to be a good opportunity and um you know, let's hope that uh, this is the right direction that she needs to make to, to further her career. Yeah, I think you said it well, Andy. I think, uh, and and now everybody's kind of saying the same thing here. We all want to see her do well. 
but her time is running out, and, and she needs to take advantage of the opportunities that she has. And, and everybody, I think, is pulling for her to make that happen. Uh, and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in one race. Uh, but uh, uh, it will be interesting to see what she does tomorrow uh, and, and see if she can uh, kind of turn some heads and, and kind of uh, greater, create greater support for her as she uh, continues her pathway on her career. So uh, I don't have a whole lot more to add than that. So, Mike, you get the final word here. Uh, just a bit of clarification. She's not running tomorrow at Charlotte. She's running a week from tomorrow at Las Vegas. She'll be on the Oval oh, you're right. at Las Vegas. She will, she will not be running in the Xfinity Series race at the Roval. Thank you. Um, w- with regard to, to Jay's point about her, her finish doesn't necessarily reflect her running position, he's right. He's, he's, he's definitely right about that. But can anyone name a race that has gotten away from Haley Deegan, something where she had the race in hand and – unfortunate circumstances took it away from her. I can't. I don't think she's been in contention in a single race. So whether she's running in the truck series or running in the Xfinity series, like we said, the key here is she's got to start taking advantage of the opportunities that she has. Could she be in better equipment? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe if she was in a a KBM truck, she might be just a, a little bit better. Or if she was going into a junior motorsport Chevrolet, maybe she would have, but it doesn't matter. You've got to take the opportunity that's presented to you, and if nothing else, show improvement year over year. This is her second year and effectively the same equipment, and the fact that she's not running better than she did last year and effectively the same equipment, that's probably my biggest concern. She's got to start showing the progression and growth that merits the advancement. I would love to see her be successful in NASCAR and and be a Cup Series driver one day, but until she starts showing that growth and development, whether it be in the Truck Series or the Xfinity Series, it's really hard to make a case to say that no matter how, how much money is behind her, she doesn't deserve to be, especially in a Cup Series ride, because the performance and the, the growth just isn't there. I hope that changes. I really, really do. And I'm, I'm interested to see how she does at Las Vegas in a couple weeks here. I don't expect her to win the race, but if she runs all the laps and keeps the car straight, I think that's a success, and hopefully a success she can build on into 2023. Okay. Jay, you're up. What's our next hot topic? Well, we're still talking about drivers changing, and we had an official announcement and one that we had heard a little bit of rumor of, but they did also announce, so we'll take it as a whole. College Racing announcement of their driver lineup for 2023 the cup series it'll be justin haley back in the number 31 and he's back aj allmendinger coming back full time to the cup series replacing him in the xfinity series is chandler smith coming out of the xfinity or out of the truck series and then landon castle i know has been officially announced as returning daniel hemrick would be if they can find sponsorship i believe Okay, and also Justin Haley staying in the 31 car. Okay. At the cup Andy. level, yes. At the cup level, right. Uh, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, obviously, um, you know, cool to see these announcements. Uh, fun to see that AJ is going to be back full-time in a cup car. Um, you know, the last time he was a full-time cup driver, he admittedly said that it really wasn't very much fun. Uh, he took a step back and, you know, eased his way back into the Xfinity Series, you know, part-time to full-time. And 
he seems to be at peace with where he, he's racing, uh, with colleague racing. He's had a lot of success, certainly, with that team. So I think that, you know, this is a great opportunity for him to get back to the Cup Series and help, you know, progress their Cup Series program. Um, so awesome to see him back. I think that it will be successful for him, you know, certainly on the road courses um, and some other racetracks, I think, you know, that he's been good at. So, um you know, I think this only strengthens their program in the Cup Series. Obviously, the 16 car has been with a multitude of drivers this season, and I think having two full-time drivers that can, you know, bounce notes and ideas off each other each week um, will be beneficial to not only AJ, who returns to the Cup Series full-time, but also to Justin Haley, who is, um, I think, only in his second or third Cup season full-time. So um, certainly, I think, a lot of good will come from that for colleagues cup program. And then on the Xfinity side, I think Chandler Smith is a huge win for that team. Uh, another big loss for Toyota's uh, development driver prospects. Uh, they seem to really be shooting themselves in the foot recently um, in that regard. Um, obviously the loss of Kyle Busch was huge um, as one of its star marquee drivers. And then Chandler Smith in my mind was the lead prospect um, that Toyota had coming up through the pipeline, not counting Ty Gibbs, given the fact that he was probably already a given um, to move up based on the success he's had. But I, I think when you look at its ARCA and Truck Series drivers, Chandler Smith for sure um, was the leading candidate and the leading prospect. And to lose him uh, to Chevrolet is a is a blow for Toyota, but a win for Chevrolet. And I think you know for him to get that opportunity. Um, to go full-time Xfinity Series racing is well-earned and well-deserved. Uh, when you look at the success he's had between last year and this year with KBM um, consistently winning races and establishing himself as a championship contender this season, um, a very good opportunity for him to, to move right into that program and probably be a race-winning contender right off the bat. So um, a great opportunity for him. And also extremely excited to see Landon Castle back in the 10 car next year. Um, I think this year was probably a bit of a disappointment to them um, for not making the playoffs um, and not winning a race as of yet. So look forward to seeing him back as a veteran of the sport. I think that, um, you know, maybe they'll be able to go win races and be more competitive next year. So um, a lot of good things for colleague racing looking ahead to 23, and I think they've got a lot to look forward to. Okay, Mike. A lot of this wasn't a big surprise. We knew AJ wasn't going anywhere from colleague racing. The big question was, is he going to be in cup or not? And obviously the answer we know now is, yes, he will be in the cup series. We kind of questioned whether or not Justin Haley was going to be coming back because no announcement had been made. But most people were pretty confident he was going to be back. The big one here, and Andy hit on it, is Chandler Smith leaving Toyota and going to a Chevrolet. I can't imagine a silly season going worse for Toyota than what they've had so far this year. They've lost not just their marquee driver in Kyle Busch, who effectively built the Toyota Cup program to what it is now, but they also have lost their development pipeline with Kyle Busch Motorsports in the truck series. And now, like, uh, like Andy said, they've lost one of, if not the best development driver that they had with Chandler Smith. I don't know what happened where the wheels just absolutely came off Toyota, but boy, have they. 
I don't really feel bad about it because Toyota has been kind of a notorious meat grinder for the past half a decade or so with how they chew up and spit out drivers and even entire race teams. But it really, it's impressive to see how bad of a silly season and how much damage has been done to Toyota. And just a short few weeks here, probably what a month or less is where all these announcements have come out. And Toyota has gone from a very strong position as a manufacturer in NASCAR, not just the cup series, but all top to bottom to a very, very weak position behind probably Ford even at this point in terms of presence and capability to grow moving forward. It's going to take some recovery from Toyota, and I'm not sure what the first step to do it is going to be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. These things uh, tend to be cyclical, uh, and it's just not Toyota's time, apparently, uh, this year or possibly even into next year, uh, because, Mike, you bring up the fact that they've hit, had some very big losses uh, this season. Uh, I I think Chandler Smith and the other drivers that are racing for KBM have all been told, uh, you know, that they uh, will be moving to Chevrolet's next year. Uh, And if I'm correct, they were told that they should be looking for other opportunities uh, if possible. Uh, And that was part of the deal with Kyle Busch going to RCR uh, is that, he made it very clear that any part of a deal for him to race for an organization was that they include uh, Kyle Busch Motorsports as part of that. And so Richard Childress Racing has made that commitment. Uh, and uh, so Kyle Busch is, uh, they haven't officially announced it, I don't think, but uh, I think it's pretty evident that they're going to be uh, racing Chevrolet next season. So, um, and I do believe, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Colleague also have an affiliation with RCR? Yes, they I'm do. I'm not sure if theirs is with RCR or Hendrick. Is theirs with RCR? It's, it's, it's with RCR. Okay. okay. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking that they're with RCR as well. So that's, that could be part of this whole uh, thing with Cowbush Motorsports and and uh, although he is going to be racing with Colleague, uh, he's not going to be part of uh, KBM. So uh, the one good thing is that he did find a really good landing spot. And I'm really looking forward to seeing Chandler Smith race next year in the Xfinity Series. Uh, understanding that there's always that learning curve. Uh, we saw that happen with uh, Sheldon Creed this year just because you're coming up into the Xfinity Series, and this goes for Haley Deegan too, doesn't mean that you're going to see success right out of the gate. Sometimes it takes a, a little bit of time to make that transition. And the biggest transition of all is going from the Xfinity Series to the Cup Series. So uh, it's all part of the learning process, and I think it's all good. Um, I'm, Justin Haley, I believe, had a multi-year agreement uh, to be in that number 31 cup car. Uh, so I think it was understood that he would be back uh, this year. And and you're right. I, I think uh, A.J. Allmendinger coming into the Cup Series was no big surprise, uh, and I think a lot of people are happy for him to be making that return back to the Cup Series. And I'm glad to see Landon Castle and Denny Humrick uh, continuing to race with Colleague Racing. I like the organization. I like what they've done in a short amount of time, and uh, uh, it would be a huge loss 
if they were not doing what they're doing in the Xfinity series and making that transition into the Cup series. So uh, I think it's uh, fantastic all the way around. Jay? Yeah, you said it. Fantastic all the way around. Uh, to start first, I'll, I'll just talk about with Colleg and what they've announced. A.J. Allmendinger, I think, uh, has shown he can still run at the cop level. He's already got a win for him to come back full-time. Uh, there was an interview, I believe it was on yesterday or Tuesday. I don't remember whichever day it was officially announced. It was officially announced Wednesday morning, I believe. Um, was on with Dave Moody. He talked about that when he left um, to go to NBC or to, yeah, to NBC. He was in a dark place. Uh, he didn't get into the specifics of why. He said he joined the uh, broadcasting, was enjoying that, got a few starts with college racing. He said he really fell in love with college racing. And you hear him say that anytime he's on camera. Uh, you know, he said he would drive a truck for him. If that's what they wanted was him as a truck driver hauler, uh, you know, that's what he'd do. He'd do whatever that organization needed. He didn't necessarily was looking for to go back full-time cup racing, but would do whatever they want uh, or needed him to. And, and he's just behind the, the company. And I think back, uh, I remember uh, when I first started with you, Sharon, I, I want to say it was Blake Cook, I think, the first year. Uh, was one of the mm-hmm. first drivers in the mm-hmm. number 11 uh, Leaf Filter sponsored uh, machine. To have seen college racing grow the way they have, step by step, and certainly we've seen it take it and come to the cup level. Um, try to be real careful here. And win races. Now, on the cup side, Sharon mentioned it, a multi-year agreement for Justin Haley. I don't have, uh, I'm not going to pull up his stat line. I'd like to see, though, and look at how he's improved. But he has a contract for next year, so be it. In the Xfinity Series, Chandler Smith, great one to get into that Xfinity Series program now. Uh, We've seen Landon Castle. That was one of those that always had a ride. Where was he? At the back. Oh, he can't drive. He's just there because he brings money. Given the opportunity, he has showed what he can do. He has been a championship contender, uh, whether he wins it or not. uh, I take that back. He was eliminated. So, um, Mm -hmm. no, I don't think the year was unsuccessful for him. I think it was a career year for him. And it was that close to being into this next round. Uh, That's right, because he was knocked out uh, by just a few points. So that shows what it is with an organization, that just that atmosphere. The one that surprises me is Daniel Hemrick, because that one was the plan is if they can find sponsorship. He is last year's champion. I know he didn't come over to, to Colleg and set the world on fire like we kind of expected or maybe should have happened. Not sure what the glitch is there. But that is one where I would be working on finding sponsorship, because we've seen that in the past. He can run up front. I know he's only got the one win, and it won, it won him a championship, but give him the right equipment and the right things, and you know what those are is always so finite. I mean, with a crew chief, uh, whatever it be, uh, figure it out because I mean you got a champion there. So I hope to see him get sponsorship in return as well. Okay, uh, Andy, your follow-up. Yeah, I just I just think overall these are positive, you know, additions and/or retentions for colleague racing. Um, I tend to think that Daniel Hembrick will probably be back with the team for next year. And, you know, I think that um, that's a solid Xfinity and Cup lineup. So 
Um, like I said, the, the real big win for them, I think, is the addition of Chandler Smith as one of, in my mind, the more talented up-and-coming drivers um, that's shown success in the truck series that I think has proven to be worthy of a full-time Xfinity Series campaign next year. And I think, you know, he'll he'll jump in and be pretty good off the bat. So um, looking forward to seeing what he does. And I think that, um, you know, Colleague Racing is continuing to establish itself as a team that's serious about being competitive and, and winning races. Hey, Mike. It's going to be real interesting to see where Toyota goes from here. Uh, they have more or less lost their their development program, at least the truck series side of it, and it couldn't have really come at a worse time for them. We They've got significant uh, openings coming up there in the next couple of years. We're kind of penciling Ty Gibbs into the Cup Series 18 to fill in for Kyle Busch, but that hasn't been announced yet. It, even if – they, if Ty Gibbs fills the 18, well, that's that's one ride full, but that creates its own problem where now the Xfinity Series has the 19 and the 54 open because Brandon Jones, we know, is leaving Dakota Junior Motorsports. On top of that, Martin Truex has said he's back for next year, but the, he is probably no more than a season or two away from retiring. Denny Hamlin, I'd be surprised if he was back more than another two to three years. And Kurt Busch, if he comes back from the injury, and I really, really hope he does, I don't think Kurt Busch is going to be around for more than another season or two, even if he is healthy. So Toyota's going to have some serious rides to fill here. And losing Chandler Smith, he was probably the most likely development prospect, aside from maybe John Hunter Nemechek, who would be ready to fill one of those cup roles in the next two to three to four years. So Right now they've got Corey Heim and they've got Sammy Smith who are kind of in the pipeline, but I think those guys are still several years away from being even potentially ready to move into a Cup Series ride, and that's if the development program for them continues to go well. There's a lot to be said about sometimes guys hit a a hiccup or a bump in the road, and we don't know what's going to happen here with Toyota. They don't have a lot to fall back on because they have lost so much ground in the development, uh, development cycle. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how this is going to go because I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't have a whole lot to add to that. I think you guys are doing a good job of covering this, uh, and I agree with everything that you guys are saying. So, Jay, I'll let you have the last word. Well, again, I look for great things to come out of college racing, the lineup they got, what they're building, and the direction they're going. I know this all keeps going back to uh, Toyota, and I've been looking. Uh, throughout the day today, it was referenced. It's apparently all but done and officially announced that DGR, David Gillen Racing, is going to switch from Ford to Toyota. I know we heard some rumblings about that. Um, like I said, the way it was talked about today, it just hasn't been officially announced, um, which plays into Haley Deegan, because if she is a Ford-signed driver, she needs to find a place to go. Uh, Tanner and Taylor Gray... Um, one of the shows I heard him break it down of it, it's what is expected. Tanner and Taylor Gray, uh, one other driver, and then a mixture of or all-star truck, um, such as they've done before, random drivers uh, each and every week. Um, which case, to me, you guys are talking about Toyota's development. They're reinvesting in David Gill and racing to replace Kyle Busch Motorsports. Ford is the one that is killing me of they've never even had a development program dgr was kind of becoming that and now it's gone 
So I'd be more concerned about Ford than Toyota. And with that, Toyota is aware they only have so many top seats available and plenty of drivers in the pipeline. That's not their concern then because they're only picking and selecting the few that they are. Right now it's Ty Gibbs, Sammy Smith, and um, Corey Heim. Who is it? Corey Heim. Um, that got mentioned, and I believe John Hunter Nemechek is going to stick with Toyota. It's really interesting that we haven't heard much out of him. Um, so th- those are the ones that right now, with like Mike mentioned, the ones that should be out of cu- the cup level anyway. Uh, they got plenty that can fill the Xfinity. We see Nick Sanchez make some starts in the uh, number 18, I believe, um, as well as uh, Sammy Smith. And a lot of people may not like to hear it. Drew Dollar, I believe, is a Toyota driver that's out there. So just to let you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. And like I said, I can't find anything official from DGR or that that's been announced, but it's, I've already heard driver lineup. So <laughs> they obviously it's all but done. It sounds like it. Okay. Uh, we are up for another topic, uh, Andy. What's your next topic? Um, this is a well. Can I, if I, if you don't mind, I wanted to touch base on the David Gilliland prospect real quick. So, yeah, they're expected mm-hmm. to join Toyota next year. It will be a four-truck team. Um, Tanner and Taylor Gray are supposed to drive two of the trucks full time, um, which is interesting because those were four development prospects that are no longer in their pipeline. Um, and then Corey Heim comes over from Kyle Busch Motorsports to drive a third full-time entry. The fourth truck will run with various drivers throughout the course of the season. So it will be a four-truck team for DGR who will fill the void left by Kyle Busch Motorsports. Okay, where did, Andy, where did you find that? I couldn't, I couldn't find that. Uh, it was on Twitter somewhere. I did read it, I think, in the last day or two. I don't have the source in front of me, but I did, I did read that. Um, okay, yeah, that's it, what I to... couldn't find that back. I'll try to post that for you if if I can find it in in the uh, the teams um, app. But um, that's what I did read um, about that in the last day or two. So kind of interesting to see what they do uh, moving forward. Um, but the next topic, and I don't know if you want to do your spiel now, Sharon, or not. Um, well, let's but it go would ahead be, and name the topic, and then I'll do my spiel. <laughs> uh, a real big one, and that would be the big penalty levied the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford of Kevin Harvick and the four race suspension of Rodney Childers. Okay. Uh, this is the time of night that I usually do an announcement. In fact, we're a little bit ahead of schedule. Uh, but this is for people that are maybe tuning in for the first time. Uh, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard. And so we let you know that at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, we are going to go off the air However, we're going to continue our conversation, and that conversation will be recorded as part of our bonus overtime material on our podcast. So, uh, again, when I get done uh, here tonight uh, with our Fanfare Racing crew and talking about hot topics, I will go out on Twitter as well as Facebook to let you know that the podcast is now available. And at that point, you can go to the player that we have available at fanforacing.com and just fast forward to the two-hour mark, and at that point you can hear the rest of the conversation uh, that was recorded uh, once we went off the air. 
So, uh, again, just didn't want anybody to be caught off guard uh, and wondering what's going on, and uh, no surprises. So with that, uh, Mike, you get to respond to the Kevin Harvick penalty. Yeah, this was a big one. Uh, This did not happen at the racetrack. After the race, NASCAR will usually take a couple cars back to the R&D Center at Charlotte, and it's a random selection. And the four car from Kevin Harvick, as well as the 19 from Martin Truex Jr., those were the two cars that were randomly selected after the Talladega race to be taken back to the R&D Center and torn down for inspection. During that inspection process, they found something wrong with the deck lid of the number four car. They didn't say specifically what was done with it, but obviously if it is a penalty like what they just levied against the number four team they're calling it an l2 penalty but the hundred points and one hundred thousand dollar penalty has been consistent with the the penalty that we've seen against brad keselowski in the number six as well as michael mcdowell in the number 34 when those two teams are also caught tampering with uh, vendor supplied gen 7 car parts So it sounds like the number four team did something to the manufacturer or vendor-supplied parts for that number four car. They were caught during that teardown random tech inspection at the R&D Center and now have been penalized for it. This is a substantial penalty, but it also kind of highlights how rough of a year Kevin Harvick has had because he still just sits 16th in points. He didn't even lose any positions in the point standings because of it. So I'm sure Kevin Harvick just can't wait for this season to be over at this point. And the worst part, and this just kind of adds injury to insult, is if you're going to cheat up the car, at least be competitive. I don't think that four car was particularly fast all weekend. And there they go for all their trouble. They get a a kind of a rough afternoon at the racetrack, and then they catch a penalty on top of it. So that's pretty rough right there. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. Well, I hate to contribute to the conspiracy theorists, but I do have some interesting things I learned tonight from Claire B. Lang. Uh, first off, you know, everybody wanted to say he got um, his car pulled because he was uh, talking bad about NASCAR versus Denny Hamlin as well, who sat and talked with management. Um, Claire, Claire defined the era. Uh, clarified this it is no longer completely random like it used to be i think she mentioned bottle caps or something where they pull a number that was the car the position finishing position number it is not that random anymore it is still just a car or two normally for one more than more than one in this case they took a toyota and a ford that's possible again this is conjecture as to why those two were pulled both Pitts and Harvick had been towards the front when they went to the back, never came forward uh, by any means. They just contently ran in the back all the way through the end of the race. And that might have led to why NASCAR wanted to look at those cars. Uh, that's not a fact. That is just conjecture um, throughout the show that, as to that. All I know that I, I was under the impression, because Claire was saying that you should not use the word random. It's still random as in they pick and choose, but it is not completely random by a draw like it used to be. I think she said 2019 or 2020 is when that changed. So a lot of people aren't aware of that. Um, but it is still, again, they want to get one from a manufacturer. First, second, and then one from uh, different manufacturers that they do take two more back to the R&D center. With that, just as I don't believe Hendrick Motorsports 
bought their way out of the uh, appeals process. I don't believe that NASCAR targeted Kevin Harvick or Stuart Haas Racing for any particular reason. Uh, it just so happens that when they did, they got caught. And to me, it makes sense. They were out of the playoffs. Like Mike said, they, they didn't even lose a position in the points. He went from 16th to 16th. They aren't in the playoffs anymore. Wanted to try something. It wasn't working, uh, as Mike pointed out, or they didn't want to show that it was working. And that may be even why it drew attention, because they were lagging back for no particular reason. Um, don't know. Uh, we don't even know for sure if there was something. Uh, it's alleged that the, there was something with the deck lid is all that we've been told so far that I've heard so far anyway. Um, let me see if I have it. I believe it was Bob Pockris did tweet that we haven't officially heard if Stuart Haas Racing is going to appeal or not, but somebody else was listed as the crew chief, and I don't have that right off the top. I'll, I'll get it in a minute. Um, that somebody else was listed as the crew chief for this weekend. Now, that could still change, but at this point it appears as though they're accepting the penalty. Okay. Yeah, Kevin Harvick and his team, uh, I do think that they're trying stuff. And I think that I think you hit the nail right on the head, Jake. This time you got to go before me and you took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, I think that they – uh, I think NASCAR saw something there uh, that was uh, of concern to them, and so they took those cars back to the R&D center. It should be noted that Martin Truex Jr.'s car, uh, they did not find anything uh, to be of concern for uh, in that car, but uh, they did find something that was uh, not to their liking for that number four car. Uh, it's not the first time that we've seen that from the number four team from Kevin Harvick or, or anything else. So I'm not surprised uh, that they were uh, uh, caught with something. But um, I think that uh, it's one of the things that uh, they, they have to deal with. You know, it's like we talk about all the time, the risk versus the reward. If a team decides to try something that is outside of the specs that NASCAR has put forth, uh, they they know what that risk is. They haven't said, uh, at least not that I know of, whether or not they're going to appeal it. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think that they're going to get very far with this particular situation uh, when it comes to spec parts. And NASCAR has been pretty clear that you do not tamper with those in any way, shape, or form. And to appeal it almost seems pointless because uh, it's clearly stated that there should be no modifications to those spec parts. So um, uh, I do think that they were testing something. Uh, They didn't want to call attention to it. But in a way, they did ended up calling attention to it, which is why NASCAR brought the car in. So uh, we'll have to see how this one plays out. Uh, but uh, I think just based on the history that we've seen before, I'm not surprised that it's the number four team in Kevin Harvick. Andy? Um, yeah, Jay, just wanted to follow up. You, um, I did send you the link. I posted it for you to read about DGR, um, just to follow up on that. Um, but as far as the four team goes, I mean, NASCAR, um, I think, got it right, really. If you look at the precedent sent earlier this season in which the six team of Brad Keselowski and RFK Racing were penalized 
in a very similar fashion for modification of a body part on the car. This was deemed to be a very similar penalty, and they got uh, the same fine and the same points penalty. So at least there's some consistency here. Um, they've made it very clear to these teams they don't want to see any kind of tampering of a vendor-supplied part, and unfortunately um, that's apparently what took place here. Uh, I would like to see and possibly hear more details about uh, what exactly took place? We don't really know. I, I heard Declid as the the possible part, but I haven't really seen any full details on it. So I'd be curious to see exactly what took place here. But the fact of the matter is, uh, um, they've, I'll reiterate, they've made it very clear that these parts are not to be messed with or tampered with or, or any kind of modifications be made. Um, and unfortunately, they were found to be guilty. So... Uh, when you're found guilty in this regard, um, you get penalized. You know, I hate to see it. Um, certainly, um, I've often, you know, really admired Rodney Childers. I still do. I th- you know, he's very open and pretty uh, transparent in a lot of his Twitter posts about racing-related topics. Um, and so, you know, it's it's tough to see that happen to these guys. But I think that, you know, some of the best of the best in the industry are – they're always going to be pushing the limits, and unfortunately, sometimes you get caught going over those limits, and that's exactly what took place here. But I, I, I 100% agree with the penalty because, again, the president was already set forth earlier this year uh, with the Brad Keselowski penalty. So I think in this case, uh, NASCAR definitely got it right. They were consistent, and um, I, I think that uh, the right thing was done here. Okay, Mike. Well, I want to point out, everyone's saying that it doesn't really matter because Kevin Harvick's not eligible for the championship anymore. And they're correct in that the four team is eliminated from the championship playoff. So they are not eligible to win the championship for this year, points notwithstanding. With that said, that doesn't mean that they're not racing for anything. They could still finish as high as fifth in the final point standings. And with that comes a significant money and uh, sponsorship advertisement placement uh, benefit. So it's in the team's best interest to still do as well as they can and not just write off the rest of the season as, oh, well, well we're eliminated, so let's just, we're, you know, we're going to cheat up the car, we're going to test a whole bunch of stuff, and if we finish last for the rest of the playoffs, then so be it. I don't think that's the right strategy, and I really doubt that that's what they're doing as well because there's that fifth place uh, points finish that's still on the table for them. Maybe not so much on the table now with losing 100 points, but it's not like they aren't racing for anything. As far as the four team and their overall performance this season goes, man, they have had a rough one. Yes, I understand they got the two back-to-back at Richmond and Michigan earlier this season, but aside from those two weeks of glory, this has probably been the worst two uh, – I'm sorry, the, the worst season stretch that we've seen for Kevin Harvick probably for his entire career. And I'm sure they just – they cannot wait for the checkered flag of Phoenix and to put this season behind them. Okay, Jake. Well, first I want to thank Andy there. Uh, Kelly Kelly Crandall, uh, did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kelly Kelly Crandall and, and was on with Dave Moody. Uh, I knew I had heard that, so I appreciate that, Andy. Uh, second, I did post the one from Bob Pockris. Stephen Doran is listed now as the crew chief for SHR this weekend. And Sharon, if I took your thoughts before you, that puts you up to about 
20 to my three that I've gotten to do that. I think I'm always on the other end. So I got a few more to make up and I might do one right now. Uh, going back to, I think this, I understand what Mike's saying. They can still, like you said, get to fifth in points. However, being that they are out of the playoffs, if you are going to try some things that are questionable or start working towards next year, now would be the time. Um, you, you don't want the 100 points or penalty, whatever it be, to take you out of the playoffs. They were already out of the playoffs. And we've seen history with this team. I believe it was this SHR number four team uh, that was one of the first. I, I won't say the first, but one of the first that had the flexible rear wind, uh, window uh, back a few years back. So we know that there are ones that will push the edge and try some things that may be questionable. They got caught. I mean, that, that's plain and simple. And you want to try and spin it off as, well, they're penalized or coming after me because I was talking bad about him. Maybe, maybe that was his intent. Maybe that's why Kevin Harvick was mouthing off so that then when he got caught cheating, he could say it was because he was mouthing off. I don't know. <laughs> we, you know and, and Sharon, I know you've said this. He is one that likes to play mind games. Maybe that was his intent all along. Don't know. Do know that there's allegedly something wrong with the car. NASCAR found it. And they penalized him. And like Andy said, it's a consistent penalty with the uh, uniform parts that you're just not allowed to play with. So I, if, if the penalty holds up, they don't appeal it, it holds up, I think it's right. If they didn't do anything to it, they'll appeal it, and it may get overturned. You never know. Yeah, I do kind of get the feeling that there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors going on here between Kevin Harvick and and I'll throw Denny Hamlin in that mix as well, for that matter. Uh, I think that they're they're uh, it's very clear from everything that we've heard from NASCAR that they've had an open dialogue with the drivers, and that all of the drivers know that they can go directly to them if there's a concern that they have. Uh, they can the door is an open door policy. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I think that some of what they've been saying all along is kind of a diversion <laughs> tactic, if you will. Uh, look over here uh, because I don't want you to see what's happening over there. And, and I do kind of get that feeling. Uh, and you're right. This is the time. He doesn't care whether he finishes in fifth, uh, and that's evident by the fact that they took this risk. Uh, that team does not care uh, whether they finish in fifth or if they finish in 25th. They're, they're more interested in getting a head start on their 2023 season. It has been a horrible year for Kevin Harvick, uh, and I'm sure he doesn't want to make it two years in a row. Uh, I, and I think that's, you know, the fact that it has been a rough year for them is part of the reason why they're not happy uh, with this car. It's kind of like uh, Kyle Busch when he said in Victory Lane, um, and I'm paraphrasing here obviously, that he did not like the COT, the car of tomorrow. Uh, and, and he let his thoughts be known about what he thought of the car of tomorrow. Um, if things are going well for you, you have no reason to complain. You have no reason to to uh, uh, do any of these things. But when things are not going well, that's when you're going to step out of the box and, and be looking for those answers. So I, I do think a lot of this is smoke and mirrors to, to distract us away from uh, what they're doing 
and uh, they NASCAR kind of, I think, had a sixth sense about that, if you will, and I think that that's one of the reasons why they brought that car in uh, and and uh, took a look at it. That may not be the case. I'm, I'm totally speculating here, but I do get that feeling and, and just call it a speculation feeling on my part. Um, and we'll see. We'll see what happens. I just know that Kevin Harvick and his team, have they're willing to take those risks. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. Andy? Yeah, you know, just unfortunate to see the penalty. Um, but, um, you know, obviously they got caught and, and they're going to pay their price and move forward. Um, you know, you hate seeing this, but we've seen it in the past. And, and I guess, you know, the, the big thing for me was just seeing a consistent penalty from NASCAR, you know, just to reiterate what I've already said, you know, we've seen this precedent set and NASCAR continued with that precedent. So, um, you know, they want this car to be equal for everybody um, because, you know, these parts and pieces are vendor supplied and they don't want them messed with. Um, like I said, the only thing I would like to see is exactly what took place with this part um, to, to see exactly what the modification was. And that's something I've seen a lot uh, on Twitter is, is, you know, expecting and hoping for transparency from NASCAR when they make these announcements, because I think a lot of us would be curious to know exactly, you know, what the team did to warrant the penalty. So I'd be curious to know what they did to warrant the penalty, but nonetheless, um, you know, a modification of a vendor supplied part warranted, you know, the same penalty that Brad Kozlowski and that team got. And, um, you know, you, you hate to see it, but they did it. They're going to serve it and they'll move on. Okay. Uh, we've got time for one more topic, Mike. You got something on your list? Well, I know you guys were talking about it earlier before the Hot Topics segment, but Alex Bowman will not be back again this weekend at the Charlotte Roval. Noah Gregson is going to fill in again in the number 48. And to address a couple questions, it sounds like the, the, they can't wave him into the next round. Unless they make you know, like Jeff Gordon him into the round of nine now, that's, that's not going to work out. The other question was if Alex were to start the race, get out, and then Noah wins, would that work? I think the precedent on that would have been when Daniel Suarez filled in for Carson Hosevar at Sonoma. NASCAR came out and explicitly said that if Daniel were to win the race filling in for Carson – that would not count for Carson's playoff eligibility. I would assume that same precedent would set for Alex Bowman. So, unfortunately, this looks like it's the end of the road for Alex Bowman and his chances at a 2022 championship, and it's the worst possible way to see a driver go out because of injury and not because of their performance on the racetrack. Okay. Jay, your thoughts about that? Well, that was the topic I did want brought up. Um, are you sure about that uh, deal with Daniel Suarez? Because I thought if the driver started the race, that that I thought, and I might be wrong, but I thought that rule was still in place, that if the driver started the race and then had a fill-in driver, the original starting driver still got the points. Um, yes, I got that. I uh, that came from a tweet from Bob Pockers replying to somebody asking about that. And he specifically referenced the Carson Hosevar thing. So the way it worked, I believe, was that if Carson started the race and Daniel won or got the wherever he finished, as always, Carson would get those points applied to him. 
but the special win in your in playoff eligibility wouldn't apply. So I think that's that's how Bob answered it. Okay, so and that is a little different, I guess, now with it the playoff since it's the the win and you move on. Oh, that's interesting. Um, in this case of uh, the fact that it wouldn't matter because it, in the concussion protocol, they're not going to let him even start the race if he's good enough to drive. They're not. You know, with an ankle or a broken bone of something, of that is a little bit different. Um, the other reference, and I know I put it, and I don't know how I put it in the uh, group chat there, but the Gordon situation was completely different. This is a driver not eligible to go, unfortunately, due to medical. And this goes back to Kurt Busch. I know when we started the playoffs, he was already out. He had, up until Darlington, the third race, if he'd have been able to cleared and run that race and won it, he would have moved on. Um, so the Gordon situation was there was some shenanigans going on that other drivers pulled that caught, created the situation where he was eliminated. So I, I don't see where you're trying to compare those two. But with that, my, my point uh, under this one is interesting of, and I can't remember where I heard this, So, but from the beginning of the year, Justin Algar was listed as the Hendrick Motorsports uh, backup driver, reserve driver. I can't remember the title they gave. I know Ryan Priest has it as uh, at SHR. But the fact that they are now using Noah Gregson, and I like Noah. I'm a fan of his, and I think he's going to uh, show what talent he's got when he moves up next year. The thing I questioned was, with this happening last race already, Noah already had a ride with Beard Motorsports at Talladega. Justin Algar went in that ride, and Noah moved over to the 48. Being that the 48 at that point could still have advanced in the owner's point, just like Bubba Wallace in the, in the 45 for Kurt Busch, I would have thought Hendrick would have put the more experienced driver of Justin Algar in it and tried to advance it through the owner points um, versus Noah, who's going to be a rookie next year, uh, has had limited starts. So I found that kind of interesting. I don't know if that was a deal Chevrolet worked out to get him more seat time this year in, I want to say, better equipment. I mean, Beard Motorsports puts their effort into the four super speedways. I get that, but Hendrick Motorsports clearly is still a better quality ride, so they want him in a better quality ride. Um, I just found that interesting because, uh, yeah, at the beginning of the year, it was uh, Justin Algar was internally listed as their substitute driver. Okay, Andy. Yeah, first off, you know, extremely unfortunate to see Alex out again. Um, obviously, that team had put themselves in position um, to make a run through the playoffs, and, you know, that got derailed by virtue of the accident at Texas. So, Hate to see that, um, you know, for Alex Hendrick Motorsports, that whole team and their sponsor ally. Um, but first and foremost, we just hope that he continues to heal and get better. Um, and whether we see him back this season or not, it doesn't matter. The big thing is that he uh, gets better, and um, hopefully we'll see him back, you know, on the track either, you know, late this year or next year. But, um, yeah, obviously an interesting move to put um, Gregson in the car, I would guess probably – uh, from a manufacturer standpoint, that's to help get him some Cup Series experience before he goes full time next year in the 42 car. So, um, yeah, it's um, 
kind of an interesting move. But, um, yeah, I guess the big thing is just hoping that Alex Bowman gets better soon. Yes, indeed. Uh, as disappointing as it is that he's not coming back to race just yet, uh, I am happy to see him taking care of his health over, uh, you know, his interest in, in being in the playoffs. Uh, there will be other playoffs that he can participate in. It's better for him to take that time now and make sure that he is 100%. Uh, and whether that's uh, the next race or the next race or the next race or next year, uh, I, I'm glad to see Alex Bowman taking this time. As far as Norris Gregson in the car, um, uh, I think that this is a good opportunity for Noah Gregson to get some uh, cup experience and uh he seems to be the logical choice. Uh, I, I believe RPM, uh, well, I guess uh, GMS Racing with, and Petty Enterprises, uh, they are in Chevrolets, and uh, all of this is, you know, a, co- a collaborative effort, if you will. Uh, so even though he's racing in Hendrick, he's also getting that opportunity to get a head start before he goes to Petty GMS Racing uh, for next season. Um, <clears throat> I, I wish it was different. I wish that these guys didn't have these injuries and that uh, they weren't dealing with this. Uh, but it is part of being a, a NASCAR racer. Uh, those kind of injuries are going to happen. I know the next-gen car is getting a lot of the blame for it. But um, I, I do think that uh, these guys all knew uh, that any time they take a crash hit, uh, that that possibility exists, and it happened with Dale Jr. before the next gen car was even on the on the road, and I'm sure it's happened with other drivers. I've seen other drivers, older drivers, talk about uh, you know they used to get in the car uh, after getting a hit like that, and nobody ever checked to see if they had a concussion, and they'd get back out there and drive, and that's uh, that's kind of a very dangerous situation. So I'm glad we've evolved to this place uh, where. Uh, the driver can comfortably take that time away from the track uh, to heal their body uh, before returning. And, and I think that's a, that's a, a, a huge thing uh, for the sport to, to be supportive of that. Um, and and I, I, it just opens the door for a great opportunity for Noah Gregson. So we'll see what he does this weekend, and uh, we'll go on from there. Mike? Kind of echoing what everyone else has said, I I hate it that Alex Bowman's not in the car this weekend or, or last weekend for that matter. Uh, mm-hmm. Alex is probably one of the funniest guys in the entire garage, probably the most underrated sense of humor in in the entire sport. Whenever he's on TV for anything, he's hilarious. In fact, the day bef- the same day that he announced his concussion earlier that morning. He had put out a tweet that he had signed Jimmy Johnson against his will to run the full World of Outlaws schedule next year. And Jimmy Johnson replied that that was not the case. And Alex kind of mocked Richard Childress and said, the timing of this announcement could not have been any worse. And it was just a hilarious uh, showing of, of why Alex Bowman is so great to have in the sport because he's got such a great personality and is, is he's sorely missed in the garage, I'm sure. I, I wish him the very best. But as much as I would like to see him in the garage and out on the racetrack, he did make absolutely the right call to step aside, put his health first. Yes, he's not going to win the championship in 2022, but he's a fairly young guy. I mean, he's a rookie driver, for, of course. 
uh, perpetual rookie. So he's got many years of racing ahead of him and many more opportunities to chase championships, and hopefully he gets one here sooner rather than later. With regard to Noah Gregson, it is kind of weird because, yes, Noah's a Chevrolet driver, but his affiliation with Hendrick Motorsports is through Junior Motorsports, but going to the Cup Series, he's going to be going to Petty GMS, and that's a Richard Childress-affiliated team. I'm not sure what the, the, the kind of handshake deals on that were. What, obviously, if Noah's available, Justin, Justin Allgaier is available. So I don't know what the deal is on that. It seems to have worked out. It's a similar arrangement because when Joe Gibbs Racing started the season, they had John Hunter Nemechek listed as their reserve driver, and it ended up being Ty Gibbs who gets uh, gets to fill in for Kurt Busch when Kurt got injured. So these things do change. The teams find whoever is available and whoever they think is going to get the most benefit out of there and benefit the team the most with their presence. And I guess they decided that Noah Gregson was the best opportunity to fill in for the injured Alex Bowen. We'll see if he continues to do that for the rest of the season, if Bowman is out for the rest of the season, if we see Noah Gregson in the 48 for the rest of the year, or if they do rotate a different driver in. I would love to see Alex back, but at this point I would kind of be surprised if he did. It's probably best to seeing how long Kurt Busch has been out. It's probably best that Alex Bowman just takes the rest of the season and heals and gets better and is ready to go again for 2023. Okay, uh, Jay. Yeah, we don't we don't know that. Uh, again, it's been a week by week um, with uh, with um, Alex Bowman. Uh, I don't know how that compares to Kurt Busch's and what levels they're at as far as progression or getting the clearance. So we'll have to wait and see when it comes to that. Uh, I, I'm with Mike. I I just especially being that we saw the. Now, Mike referenced the Ty Gibbs versus John Hunter Nemechek. I think that was because at that point they kind of expected Ty Gibbs to be the one to move into that ride eventually after they finally settled the Kyle Busch deal. Um, But with moving uh, Bubba Wallace then to that team to run for the owner's championship, like I said, that's that's the key I just – I don't see – now, Mike brought up the fact that yeah, he is a Hendrick Motorsports affiliated at this point, but the cup level would be um, Richard Childress, which makes me think Chevrolet maybe had a little bit of a say in it. I don't, I don't know that, but it does appear so. And, and as mentioned, uh, we've mentioned with several drivers, their driver, their ties aren't necessarily to a team. It is to a manufacturer. So may, that might be that Chevrolet had a hand in making this happen. Um, I'm happy for the opportunity for Gregson um, to be in that car, uh, especially on a road course. We've seen him do some good things on a road course as well as some bad. <laughs> so we'll see which side we get. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Andy. Uh, no real follow-up to this one. Yeah, I don't really have a follow-up either. So, Mike, you get the final word here. Well, the final word is just best wishes to Alex Bowman. wish him a speedy and full recovery as soon as he's ready to go. All right, well said. All right, uh, with that, I think we're ready to do our roundtable. And, uh, Jay, we'll start with you for the roundtable. All right, you can follow me, uh, Michael Hoosman, on Facebook, MoparMJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And Mike knows where I'm going this weekend for the All-American 60. Going to be happening at? Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway. (laughs) <laughs> there it is. Big weekend for uh, for Jackson. Uh, I know a few weeks 
Yeah, it must have been weeks back. They were underwater, so we went back racing once after that and then have a huge closeout weekend this weekend, so I'm looking forward to that. All right. Andy? Uh, for me, CB14 fan on uh, Twitter, and uh, certainly looking forward to um, some Roval action this weekend. I think I'll be home in time to watch the Cup race on Sunday, so excited for that, and Curious to see who makes it to the round of eight. Yeah, me too. Um, Mike? Mike underscore is L on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I'm looking forward to the racing this weekend, but I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to watch it because I'm going to be doing autocross racing myself at Columbus Air Force Base. Maybe we're done in time to catch the, the races on Saturday and Sunday. Probably not Saturday, maybe Sunday, so I don't know. I'm definitely going to watch them if D, on DVR, if nothing else. The Charlotte Roval is always entertaining and a lot of fun to watch, so I'm really looking forward to seeing the action this weekend. And I'll probably talk to you all on Monday evening. All right, sounds good. I am Bamford Racing site on Twitter, Bamford Racing blog and radio everywhere else, including our website, com, where we have our uh, radio player for folks to listen to the live broadcast or the podcast. So uh, thank you to everyone for tuning in. We appreciate uh, you taking the time to hear what you have to say. We hope you enjoy the show as much as we enjoy doing it. And uh, a big shout-out to our fan for Racing crew here tonight, Jay Huseman, uh, Andy Lasky, and Michael Orzel. I believe I got everyone's name correct. <laughs> And uh, definitely appreciate all you guys and, and your insights uh, and opinions about uh, what's happening within the racing world. Uh, we are uh, definitely uh, going to see some fantastic racing this weekend and an elimination race for both the Xfinity Series as well as the Cup Series. And then the season finale is this weekend also uh, on Saturday for the Arkham Menard Series. So we'll crown a champion when that is all said and done uh, this weekend as well. And they are racing, uh, I know this, Toledo. They're racing at Toledo. So uh, it's going to be a fun weekend of racing. And uh, I'll look forward to talking to everybody on the other side on Monday Sharon, night's show. Sharon, can I say something here? Andy, Andy wasn't here on Monday. So... Uh, mathematically, two people are still eligible in our fantasy points for the truck series, but if Andy scores two points over the next two races, he will he has basically locked up the truck series fantasy championship. So congratulations. Uh, we'll announce it officially after the next race, but uh, you have it all but point. locked up, Andy. That's a good point because I can totally just tank and not do well. So it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> Well, don't do that, Andy. I was ready to congratulate you as well. Uh, I think you'll, you're, you're going to be just fine and uh, enjoy your bragging rights. Uh, in that I should regard. enjoy that series because I don't really think I'm doing that great in the other two, so I'll take what I can get. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. Okay, so uh, thank you, Jay, for uh, taking care of our our fan uh, for racing fantasy group and Mike, how's it going with the other uh, group that you started the playoff grid? Well, we're all pretty much tied up right now. We're going to know more after Sunday's race because it only awards points after each elimination round. So 
once we have the next elimination round, everyone's tied right now with 12 points, but it ramps up with more points available for each round, as well as there's a lot more variance in the different drivers that we picked, uh, starting with the, the end of the round of 12 going into the round of eight. So I'll have an update ready for you all on Monday, and we'll see where everyone's sitting at. It's only just me, Jay, and Andy who are participating in it. No one else wanted to get in on the action, but, you know, that's, that's the three of us, so that'll be good. Yep, I, I chickened out because it's just too tough uh, to kind of predict what's going to happen uh, this year with this next-gen car. So uh, perhaps next year I can participate. Well, we'll see what happens. If, if if you were to look at our brackets, it's not who's doing good, it's who's not done the worst. Because, yeah, the, the brackets <laughs> were pretty much busted, I think, after the first round, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that. Okay, so maybe you can give us an update on Monday, Mike. Absolutely. Okay, uh, and thanks for doing that uh, for the three people that are participating. I think that's fantastic. Okay, I think we're ready to call it a night, guys, and uh, definitely looking forward to the weekend of racing. Uh, and uh, I can't wait for the final results to come in. So enjoy your weekend. Good night, everybody. Have a good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.